Louder! Live from the Black Lodge, it's me, the free will burning, head turning, ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcasting mouthpiece of the Southeast, uncontested superstar of the airwaves, and your reigning and defending podcast champion of the world, Brandon A. Lane, bringing you another edition of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. But not just any edition, tonight we celebrate our 50th episode by lovingly dissecting one of my all time favorite films. RoboCop. We have an in-depth retrospective headed your way, and we're overjoyed to announce that you'll be hearing from William Shockley, a.k.a. the guy who gets shot in the dick by RoboCop later in this episode. Thank you so much, William, for participating, and you have my solemn vow that the sacrifice of your genitalia will not be in vain. So I need all of you out there in the rant army to hop over to Twitter and give William a follow at Will Shockley. Thanks again, Will. We owe you big time. Now, once you've followed him, you got to do the same for us. Please follow the Ransom the Black Lodge podcast on social media at Rants Black Lodge. Please subscribe to the podcast on one of the many platforms we're available on, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to stop by our homepage at JuicyKruger.com and for the love of Cthulhu, buy a t-shirt or a mug from our web store at RantArmy.com. we got some great stuff in store tonight, but first, here's some messages from our sponsors. Come on down to Mass by Lance. Premium Friday the 13th custom-made hockey mask down there in Tennessee by Lance McKinney. Find him on Facebook and Instagram over at Mass by Lance. Go order one now, boy. Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN. Assholes, it's me, Boner the Skeleton, mascot of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast, here to sell you some shit you probably can't afford. Are you low on cash? That's not a problem. Sell your children, sell your blood, go to the jack-off clinic and give them a sperm sample. We don't care how you get the money, as long as you give it to us. Want a t-shirt? Want a sticker or a mug to show that you're a true friend and a member of the Rant Army? Well, guess what? Go to Rant Army Surplus. The link is in the description. And if you don't buy something, then fuck ya! Alright, Rant Army, tonight we celebrate the 50th episode of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast with an in-depth retrospective of one of our all-time favorite films. 
But there's simply no way that I could do RoboCop justice without calling in from reinforcements from the man sitting across the table from me right now. Making his valiant return to the Black Lodge, he's the Baron of the Buffet, the Admiral of Alcohol, and just in time for Christmas, ladies, he could be your Sergeant of Sexy Time, a.k.a. the Colonel of Cunnilingus. He'll be screaming your name, and you'll be screaming his, Woo! It's Fat Tony! Yes, I'm so glad to be back, but I do have a small correction to make. All those descriptors of me were 100% accurate. But no, ladies, sadly, I am off the market. My heart, I no longer have a girlfriend. I have a motherfucking wife. I got married September 18th. It's just been a while since I've been back here. Well, congratulations to you and the uh, the lovely bride. And we're going to do a, a shot. Do a shot to my, my wife. And we're, we're drinking basically jet fuel right <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, this is some horror. We got used to good shit. Ugh. All right. To Sarah to and your Sarah. Oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Oh, man, that is... They were out of our normal brand (laughs) I usually get, so I'm like, oh, we used to drink Travarski all the time. Well, it's been years, because we're Taka people now. Yeah, be a great sponsorship, but... uh, Please, yes. They're a really good cheap vodka. Travarski, I think, is made with, like, Satan's tears. I don't know. It's bad. It's... we, We used to drink this so regularly that it was like drinking water like yeah. this stuff didn't sting at all and now after a while of not having it holy fuck we have <sighs> we have softened our cores we, over the uh, years this, old age has not been kind i've to got glasses senses. now for the first time ever in 40 years i didn't realize how bad my eyesight was until i put these on i'm like holy crap i can see uh yeah so um we're getting soft. I got married. Got tied down with old ball and shit. No, no, I love my wife. Well, congratulations all the same. And tonight we're going to celebrate your nuptials by showering heaps of praise upon one of my favorite, and I'm assuming Absolutely. one of your favorite Top movies. Five of all favorite time. movies. RoboCop. Whoa, dead or alive, you're coming with me. There's so many, so many things uh, to talk about, and we're going to hit the ground running. RoboCop was released July seventeenth, nineteen eighty-seven. So you I know, was six. I would have been three. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get to see this one in the theaters. Unfortunately, though, my dad just wasn't paying attention to the first one. The second one came out what eighty-nine, ninety, somewhere in there. I'm still uh, super young. Way more violent than the original. Dad's like, come on, kids, we're going to the movies. I mean, I fucking loved it, but as a responsible parent, he should not have taken it. <laughs> Are you saying you saw Robocop 2 before, two. You, before you saw part one? Uh, probably, yeah. Uh, like, I mean, it was on video. My dad might have rented it with, to watch with his uh, uh, older kids. I don't remember Robocop before seeing part two in the theaters. And then I think we might have rented part one that night. Dad loved part two. I can I can tell you unequivocally the moment that I saw it, uh, my my aunt Judy, her and her husband were uh, kind of highfalutin fancy people with their satellite, you know, the giant one yeah. that you had to reposition to get, you know, you know, felt like uh, you own something substantial when you have one of those. Oh, it took up like half your yard, you know, and uh, they they had all the premium channels, HBO, Cinemax, and. Um, 
I was left into my own devices quite often. That was my babysitter after Hell school. Yeah. And I discovered this movie called RoboCop, and I fucking loved it from the get-go. However, this is a movie that over time, you'll be able to see through different lenses throughout. Kind of like how I view Ghostbusters. Yeah, honestly, it has a lot of parallels if you've watched it young. Yeah, you, you can uh, appreciate it on a lot of different levels. Uh, it was real... Uh, Produced on an estimated budget of $13 million. Now, adjusted for inflation, that comes to $31,306,082.75. million of that budget was on blood squibs. <laughs> I love it. Especially if you've seen the, the director's cut. But even in the original cut, or the theatrical $2 million in blood squids. They, 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 they definitely paid a lot of attention to the, the dirty details of the violence. Oh, hell yeah. Um, opening weekend, it made $8,821.75. Uh, uh, $8, adjusted for inflation. That comes to $19,286,283.26. So this was a, a what pretty... What was the total take? The total take, gross. Across the board, $53,424,681. Adjusted for inflation, that comes to $128,655,191.08. I know it had to be a runaway success. Yeah, it had to be a big hit. I mean, just ridiculous. Like, sequels of lesser quality in every one of them. There's like two, I don't know if they're made for TV movies or something, like two or three. You're talking about the Prime Directive uh, oh, yeah, sequels. Yeah, like th those were made for TV movies. And there was, uh, and well, Prime Directives became a television show, but then there was a t another TV show that was produced yeah. sometime afterwards, and, and they're both grossly inferior well, they to the original. you know, helmed by the, the messiah <laughs> of film. You know, like the the Dutch Jesus of movies, Paul Verhoeven. We're, we're going to talk about him <laughs> yes. in, in detail a little later on. What do you think the IMDb rating is for RoboCop? Out of 10? Out of 10. 6.8. You're close. 7.6. Okay, well, that's still, that's higher than I thought. Uh, critics loved RoboCop at the time, um, and, I, and I think that the reason that critics loved it is because they picked up on all the satirical elements, but it also works strictly as just a, an action film, so it sort of hit all the bases across the board. Um, what do you think the Rotten Tomatoes score is? 83. 90. Heck yeah, I like being surprised now, positively. Now, here's the one instance where I'm disappointed. The audience score is 84%, so the audience score is less than the critical score. There's a lot of contrarian. Those Gen Zers nowadays just don't get the appeal of a giant robot shooting rapists in the dick. <laughs> they don't. They want like to stop global warming and to have a future and, and <laughs> stupid stuff like that. RoboCop could save the world right what now. What is it about RoboCop do you think, like in all sincerity, that like probably turns off audiences? I don't. I don't think '80s movies translate to younger audiences because they they've grown up with the bombastic, like the Avengers, the fast, the crazy fast, over the top, kinetic mile a minute. This is not a mile a minute. When it's action, it's him walking around shooting and blood going everywhere. It's not like you know. The Hulk smashing the Leviathan from the Chitauri or uh, The Rock changing the direction of a torpedo in a fucking... I hate Fast and Furious movies. So just don't get me going. I'm going to give but, you a high five for that. But 
<laughs> they're, it, they're not, it, it's not as frantically paced. That's what action movies are nowadays. No, I agree with you. And um, one of the strengths of this movie, obviously, is its story and the way it's grounded. And a lot of modern action films don't really have that. So, I mean, it's just a sign of the times, I suppose. Uh, Metacritic, um, is it a 67 out of 100? Um, that Metacritic Metacritic's is always assholes. So that's still pretty good yeah. for them. It's still positive. What do you think Google users... 95 or something. 91%. 91, that's okay. However, as always, the only review that means anything is the Rant Army review. So I put up in our Facebook group two options, RoboCop good, RoboCop bad. What do you think our listening faithful... I'm hopefully 90. I want it to be 100% or they're they're wrong, but I'm going to say 95. 100%. Yes. They, they, oh, I'm so proud. I literally have... And you can look yeah, at yes, I, yeah, I have yes, goosebumps. I have literal goosebumps. How proud I am in our listening audience for having awesome. taste. Um, I I think that RoboCop is very nearly a perfect movie. It's perfect in execution and tone and just the the way that it's cast and and I mean you could probably quibble with some of the the minor aspects, uh, you know, the the effects, you know, the effects and, and are, high def or you know, they they fall a little short, but if you put all the it's the sum of the parts outweigh the whole. It's fucking perfect. And one of the best scores the, the of a non John Williams movie. Oh, it's absolutely memorable. It's fun. like, oh. So, one of the things that's notable about this movie is its body count. <laughs> so, on Fat Tony's hit list, we have... 29. 30, if you include ED-209. And now, admittedly, this number may be off, because holy fuck! In particularly in the scene where... The uh, cocaine Robo- warehouse. Yes, where he's just shooting people at random. So, th- that number could be off, and, and I will uh, gladly uh, take it back if we're incorrect on that number, but I was... Very meticulous, so I believe that is an accurate count. One thing that this movie does lack somewhat, and that would be our stank dick Eddie's titty tally, we have only three sets of breasts. Yeah. We have one female cop at the very beginning of the movie in the um, very progressive room. um, You know, the uh, gender neutral uh, locker room. But then there are two more women in like the punk new wave club. And they're they're technically clothed, but their uh, their very revealing outfits are. Uh, One of them straight up has a titty out. They're, they're, she's clothed. Yeah, they're they're like basically they're cropped, so only their tits are, are showing. I mean, like all classy ladies dress. I, I absolutely agree. <laughs> it was the eighties. Cocaine was abundant. We need to bring that back and cocaine. It needs to come back in a bit. It's it's fun. Do drugs, kids. <laughs> Don't do drugs. Do drugs. There's no kids listening to this. There's no, the youngest person to ever hear this is probably my stepkids when I make them listen to it in the car when we're on long trips. Well, I appreciate the authoritarian uh, I mean, iron yes. fist that you have in pushing our numbers towards, yes. the, towards the ceiling. Now, what Robocop may lack in exposed breast, it more than makes up with, with on-screen violence. God. But if it wasn't for the, you know... It, this isn't the only movie that's seeking the action throne of 1987. There's so many films that lay claim to this or very easily could lay claim. So let's check out the stiff competition for RoboCop. Fat Tony, if you'd be so kind, read off what we have in 1987. Ooh, I'm excited. 
All right. Right out the gate, American Ninja 2. From our friends at Canon. Definitely the second American Ninja movie. <laughs> Assassination. I'm trying That's to a Charles Bronson film. Oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. Beverly Hills Cops 2. Cop 2. Deadly Prey. Death Wish 4. The Crackdown. Still not as good as 3. Deathstalker 2. Love those Deathstalker movies. Goddamn right. Full Metal Fucking Jacket. Hamburger Hill. Both. Varying qualities, but super violent Vietnam movies. Uh, Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Which is a David Sedaris movie where a giant fucking snake bites someone from a toilet, and then a guy gets blown up on a skateboard. It's fucking amazing. It is amazing. The original Lethal Weapon, an all-time action classic. The Living Daylights, a less-than-classic Bond movie, but there's worse. Malone. Masters of the Universe. Quick side story to this. We ate at Taco Bell after seeing this at the Volunteer Twin in Morristown, and that's the first time I ever remember hearing my mother refer to anybody as sexy. Because Dolph Lundgren was really sexy. Uh, That's a callback. You told that story on the uh, Cannon Cup episode. Uh, No Way Out. Good movie. Over the top. Fucking, I mean, have... We're we're very Cannon heavy in 87. It's the best arm wrestling Sylvester Stallone movie ever made. You can't deny it. Predator. I mean, one of Fuck, that's top tier on Fucking another perfect movie uh, in execution across the board. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Principal. Eh. Rotor. R-O-T-O-R. I'm not sure I know this. I, I, I actually recommended you watch this not long ago on Tubi because oh, it, it is one, okay. of the, it's one of the best bad movies you will ever yes, see. Yes, I do remember that. The Running Man. And this is in quality. One of the worst Arnold movies, but in Arnold's performance and one-liners, the best. It's a movie made of great moments that makes no fucking sense as a movie. I'm going to butcher the line, but he has he has a line in that movie that uh, it's one of my all-time favorites. It's something along, along the lines of, like, you better clear out your guts because I'm about to ram my, my foot <laughs> yeah. in your ass. My favorite one-liner of that is he went from Sub-Zero to just plain Zero. It's so dumb. <laughs> it's so dumb. Steel Dawn. The next one's a personal favorite of ours, Steel Justice. I mean, he'll he'll get to revenge, but he's got to wait till four or five people die first. He's taking a bath. Strike Commando and Superman for the Quest for Peace, the movie that didn't happen and we won't talk about it. Well, they, the Canon couldn't, you know, deliver everything can be gold. Every time. All right, so based off of that list, where do you think RoboCop? Is- oh, it's top five. Out of this, I mean, you, you have uh, Full Metal Jacket. That was a huge movie. Uh, I already know Over the Top was a big disaster. Superman 4 probably made some money opening win. I'm going to go number three. Oh, Lethal Weapon's probably number one. Lethal Weapon, Living Daylights, one of those. Okay, coming in at number five, The Living Daylights with $51,186,259. Coming in at number four, RoboCop with $53,425,389. Coming in at number three, Predator with $98,268,458. Coming in at number two, Lethal Weapon, $120,207,127. And coming in at number one, Beverly Hills Cop 2, yeah. $299,987,000. Yeah. 
$865,036. How come it took them like a decade and a half to make part three then? Uh, Probably Eddie Murphy. Yeah, and let's not talk about part three. It's a a terrible... I love you, John Landis, but that's a terrible movie. I, I like the first one the best. The second one's got some moments... And I do like in the third one when he prints up the using the the real paper just prints up funny money with like kiss my ass on it. He cuts in line in front of George Lucas. Yeah, yeah um, there's a lot. Of as that. a kid, I thought that was cool because back then George Lucas hadn't ruined my childhood. Piece of shit. <laughs> what are you talking about? Jar Jar Binks is the greatest character in the entire. Hit, I will hit you. I don't care if I break my fucking <laughs> tiny wrist. I will do it. All right. In 1987, it was definitely stacked year for action films, but the long journey to get to RoboCop, uh, you know, to the big screen is actually started back all the way in 1982. So to find out why, let's go from page to screen. Now, quite a few people played a hand in getting RoboCop off the ground, and the mad genius who would serve as the Dr. Frankenstein for RoboCop is a man by the name of Ed Newmeyer. Now, Ed was working on a script... uh, or was a script reader for MGM at the time. Um, a script reader is basically somebody who reads scripts and like decides whether or not it's something that a, a killer job. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like you sort of like get to play a hand in like what is allowed in the inner circle. But needless to say, Ed would get bored doing this. Um, so he would be on the studio lot and he would wander around in between reading scripts. So he ended up on the sets of movies just to cure his boredom from time to time. Ed had this to say about his frustrations of being a script reader. When you're a reader, you're very frustrated because all you want to do is something else. You read thousands of scripts and most of them not very good. I would get done for the day and instead of going home, I would just go to the set of Blade Runner. It was like four in the morning, and I remember looking at the car, which was called a spinner, and I was thinking about what I thought about the robot would look in that world. And I suddenly had this image that came to mind of a robot standing next to that car on the street, and then the title came into my mind, which has never happened before or since. It was RoboCop. All right. God only touches you with the finger of inspiration (laughs) once, and that's all you need. Let's... The most controversial element about RoboCop, really, beyond the violence and everything, is its title. Is RoboCop the best or the worst title ever for a movie? Since it is a satire or was made, I'm not sure how the script was intended, how it came out was satire. Over-the-top satirical take on the 80s action. I think it's the best fucking title you can have for a movie like that. I'm going to say that it, it. there's probably a lot of people out there to this day, and a shout out to Jason Davis, who's the our technical advisor, because for years I talked about how much I love RoboCop. He's like, ah, RoboCop is nothing special. And he watched it not long ago, and he was like, oh my God, it's fantastic. And I'm like, yes, it is. And he said the same thing that a lot of people say. Yeah, but it's called RoboCop. Here's the thing. As a as a title to a, a really smart film, it's the worst thing you could do to it. But as as far as giving you a title that is one hundred percent representative of what yeah. it is on the surface level, it's it's perfect. And, and it had the broader appeal of getting asses in seats who didn't care if it was a satire or not, like oh, that man just shot a dick off <laughs> to like, oh I love this whole take on eighties consumerism and the excesses. You got all those. You're getting most of your money from, you know, 
Bubba and Betty Sue Smith going to see a robot kill some people. I, I'm down with that. I, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. One of the best titles, in my opinion, ever for a film is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, the reason Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a perfect title <clears throat> is because if you don't like that title, you're not going to like the movie. Yeah. It tells Does, you and, and, and the movie delivers on those every every beat of that title. Does the movie take place in Texas? Yes. Is there a chainsaw involved? Yes. Is there a massacre? Yes. If you don't want anything to do with those three words, you're not going to like the movie. But if you do... You you know what the movie is. RoboCop could mask like some of the things that you know pretentious assholes might like of it. I like I like the movie on the the sat- satirical level, but at my base core, the little kid in me that probably saw this definitely the week after I saw RoboCop two, fucking robots you know kill it you know shooting rapists in the dick through dresses, you know fucking uh, the dude falling in the toxic waste and getting <laughs> splattered across. Can you fly? What is it, Jimmy? Can you fly, Bubby? Bubby. Throwing, I mean, the badasses of it. And then later on, like you said, like with Ghostbusters, you appreciate it on different levels. But the main reason I like it is a badass action film. Absolutely. And um, so my vote is that RoboCop may be the greatest title for a film of all time. And it's one of those that, like, it's going to attract basically enough of your general audience to get their attention but then the people that are sort of on the fence, they're going to hear about the the pros and the cons, and they're going to be drawn or repelled by it at face value over time. Now, Ed had the passion for for writing, uh, but for better or for worse, um, this title lacked the clout to get RoboCop, you know, even considered for production. That is until Ed discovered a screenplay that would eventually be turned into the movie. Um, Risky Business, which stars Tom Cruise. So, you know, his day job kind of paid off. That was a all, little bit of a hit. You uh, know, just a little tiny bit. One. Just a little bit. By the way, we haven't said this in a while, but fuck, fuck you, Tom, Tom Cruise. Uh, what? I, I'm going to I'm gonna walk back the K and the fuck you, because I found out he would not do Top, top Gun 2 unless they had Val Kilmer in it. That's a little, like a mod, like mostly fuck you. Well, here's the thing, though. Val Kilmer's kind of a piece of shit, too. So Have you seen, but but he, it was still, Val Kilmer's been humbled. Well, good. I watched that documentary. Yeah, he definitely has been yeah, humbled. Yeah. Life said, hey, you're a bit of a dick. Do you, but do you think that that was like, oh, I'm, I love you, Val Kilmer, or this movie's going to be less successful if we don't have Val Kilmer? No, I, th- I do. Like, it's got Tom Cruise in a big budget action film. They're mostly hits, and it, the nostalgia factor. I think it's a risk having Val Kilmer. Have you seen the garbage pail monsters become? <laughs> so again, instead of tripping and falling and drowning in a puddle of shit and piss, I hope it's just piss. Well, I'm not a big fan of Top Gun either way. So no, fuck no, you, it's overrated. Um. Risky Business was so successful that Ed got promoted to the rank of executive, which uh, allowed him to pursue his passion project, which just happened to be RoboCop. Uh, Ed had the great idea for the screenplay, but he wasn't comfortable writing the script alone, so he started you know, searching for a writer with some similar sensibilities. Um, this search would lead him to a gentleman by the name of Michael Miner. However, the real question is, why did Ed view Michael as the best choice to work on RoboCop. Now, I meant to show you this, this what I'm about to talk about before we recorded, but um, 
for the sake we got of argument, distracted with liquor. we got distracted with liquor. You know, our vices got in, in the way. But when doing research, I, I, I come to realize that Ed brought Michael on board to co-write RoboCop because Michael had just worked on a music video for the song Don't Stop Running by the band Y&T. Now, number one, I don't care what fat fuck Scott will tell you, Y&T sucks. <laughs> I'm sure they do. His taste is horrible for the most part. <laughs> but this music video prominently features a robot, and this was pretty much the sole reason why he was chosen <laughs> to come aboard for, for the writing of this screenplay, which by all accounts is fucking fantastic. It's a, it's a really tight screenplay. But if you watch this music video... And you think, like, how the fuck do you get from this to RoboCop? Because this is, like, everything that when people read the title RoboCop, this is what they, <laughs> they think. think. This is what they think. So either they had a more schlocky idea in mind at first, and it thankfully was formed by Paul, Paul Verhoeven. Verhoeven. elevate material, man. Wait well, till I'm going to I'm gonna be straight on his dick when we get to his section. Such a, such a master. Such a master. Um, so I, I'm assuming that you haven't seen this abortion. <laughs> no, I mean, do can we pause and go watch it, or just <laughs> well, take you at your just word? Just take me at my word. I we'll, got you. Uh, remind me, I'll show it to you later. But uh, does does this change your uh, a view of uh, of maybe the that maybe Newmeyer and Miner weren't the geniuses that they've kind of been lauded? Or? Well, I, again, I've never read the screenplay. I, I think it's. With film, it is collaborative, depending on unless you have like a, oh, what the fuck's his name? Who, Zeme- not Zemeckis, Opie from fucking... Ron Howard? Ron Howard. Ron Howard's a good take a script, film the movie director. Then you have geniuses like Paul Verhoeven that make it like he's... I'm not putting it exaggerated when I say I hold him slightly below Kubrick. But, I mean, it may be... <sighs> Maybe they could have a good screenplay and just like, oh, there's some robots. Maybe my intelligence part will affect his, you know, schlocky action part because the movie has both. I mean, the, you're you're not wrong. So I think I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because I'm feeling generous and I've lost most of my balls since being shackled with this ring around my finger. <laughs> Just play. Right, Michael had this to say about coming on board for the RoboCop project. Ed and I are very different personality types. I'm a little bit more of an experimental filmmaker. Experimented with uh, psychedelics a lot. A leak before I look kind of person. Now, after seeing this music video, it's pretty damn clear that, glo- that drugs were definitely... Um, influenced decisions all around, and that's not just the music video, but just RoboCop in general. But this was the the, the height of like you know the cocaine craze in Hollywood. There was no stunt coke in that movie. No, <laughs> this this feels like it, like a it's like Macho Man Randy Savage sat down on a typewriter. I'm going to write a story about a fucking robot that shoots people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Craft Services just had like a like a. Scarface-like mountain of it at the end of the sparse food buffet. Um, Ed made plans to get the script, um, you know, into working order, but he had to go about it in a less than honest way. He had this to say about it. I'm going to go away, and I'm going to write the first act. So I took 10 days off from work. As an executive, I said to my, I said that my grandfather had died and I had to go, but I told a lie and the studio sent me flowers. I still feel bad about it today. <laughs> so 
does the ends justify the means or... I mean, who hasn't said some kind of grandparent dad to get out of work? <laughs> but, you know, we've worked, like, lower-level jobs. They're not going to give us 10 days off for a grandparent. I got, like, three or... No, I got paid three days and seven days off for a parent. So, I mean, it, I mean it's, it's not the end of the world. It's definitely unethical. His grandparents gonna, his granddad's gonna die at some point. I'm just saying. Very true. And then he'll get another ten days off. Well, that's why people <laughs> have more than one. You could say my grandparents divorce. You know, you can have up to like four grandfathers. It's very true. That's very true. I mean, on the scale of unethical things done in Hollywood, it's very low I mean, th- this is this is pretty pretty. Uh, you know, forget Weinstein. We need to cancel this guy. <laughs> Um, ethics aside, you got to respect the hustle um, to get RoboCop made. And we'll talk more about the script contributions in just a bit. But first, Fat Tony, if you'd be so kind, would you please read the synopsis for the film at hand, 1987's masterpiece? Yeah, I can. RoboCop. Glasses now. Called by Ken Russell, the greatest science fiction film since Metropolis, controversial director Paul Verhoeven's RoboCop is a special effects-laden cult phenomenon. The film features a resurrected and robotic hero, Peter Weller, and a new supercharged cyborg body, struggling to reclaim his memory and avenge his own death. Written by Ed Newmeyer and Michael, Michael Miner, this brutally funny film is a grown-up superhero fantasy come to vivid, bloody life. I wouldn't call it. I mean, it's sci-fi, yeah, superhero, no. If I think grown-up superhero, I think the boys. I mean, for the time, though, I mean, like, doesn't this hit all the sort of, you know, Yeah, the, the, I mean, the yeah, it's RoboCop. It's got the cool theme song that they even kind of, I want to say it's similar to Team America because there's the down-tempo beat of it, too. Like, yeah. He's all shot and crawling through. America. <laughs> yeah. Alright, with a premise as crazy as RoboCop, it's only fitting that the man sitting behind the camera be a little crazy himself. Helming RoboCop, we have the Danish madman of cinema known as Paul Verhoeven. Now, his long, long career in in film has brought us such films as Turkish Delight, Soldier of Orange, Flesh and Blood, Total Recall, which happens to star a gentleman by the name of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was in Twins, which was directed by Ivan Reitman, who directed Ghostbusters. You just got busted. And he executive produced Afterlife. You got reboot busted. True. Not reboot, kind of sequel. Sequel did, soft did you, reboot. Did you also know that he uh, also... came out, the director? Well, I was going to say no. that, that Ivan Reitman uh, stood in. He's basically the he's, body he's for Vinkman, Egon. Or Egon, yeah. yeah. I Spoiler, just found sorry. out today. <laughs> um, he also directed Basic Instinct, which is just a, a fun, schlocky, noir, beaver it. shot masterpiece. Um, Showgirls, which I, I right before we started recording, I was having you were a, jacking off to I me was, too. Yeah, absolutely. I was having a discussion um, with our good buddy Jimmy O from JoeBlow.com, uh, talking about the pros and cons of Showgirls. Um, Starship Troopers, which is one of the the many films of the 1990s that deserves critical acclaim. It was too good on the action, the archetypical action movie beats to make you realize you are rooting for Nazis. Yep. Literal Nazis. And I think that is, that's the great and wonderful subversiveness. The best part of that movie is when, um, Oh crap, Doogie Hauser, what's his uh oh it's, it's three letters because it's the Harold and Kumar. 
No, it doesn't uh, matter. Doogie. You, you know who we're talking about. And Neil Patrick Harris. Neil, Neil Patrick Harris. And, you know, he his character is like a psychic. <clears throat> yeah. And he touches the bug, and he's like, he's it's scared, and they all, like, <laughs> yeah. cheer. Because, basically, they're beating, a, they're beating a race that is, you know, just wants to be left alone. And it's just, it's hilarious. One of the best satirical films ever made. Hollow Man, which uh, I didn't really like I at the time. I still don't. I, re- I rewatch it. I, I hate it less. But it was one of the 90, was it 90s or early 2000s? I would have been, I think it was 99. Yeah, I saw that at the theater. This is back when it didn't pay, so I hated it. I was mad. And then I found out that, like, some of the, like, grabs for the box and poster were, like, fake made up um, review lines. Oh, really? Yeah, there's uh, a whole thing about it. I did not know about that. Uh, just this year, he directed a film called Benedetta, which is the story of a 17th century nun who has erotic visions of Jesus Christ and enters into a taboo relationship with a woman. Um, you know, We're going to have that, to pause this, though. So i got to go <laughs> find a movie real quick. Like, sometimes in life there's emergencies and then there's a true calling. Our, our friends at Central Cinema is showing this film next the, next week. The next week of the time we're recording this. Well, we got to go and we have a buffer seat. So when we start jacketing, it's not, you know, if, as long it's as not it, cheating if my elbow's not touching yeah, your like, elbow. like no eye contact and um, as long as the small of your back isn't touching, yeah. it's not gay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, okay. Paul. Paul has been very successful and, and quite prolific in his home country of Denmark, but his luck in America was not terrific uh, from no. the get go. He had been given the opportunity to direct Flesh and Blood for Orion Pictures, and I'm going to say really quick that I love Flesh and Blood. Oh, Rutger Howard's great. It's I thought, I, and I always thought this was like a prestige film, but people like fucking <laughs> tore this thing yeah. to shreds back then. But, I mean, I was like an adult before I realized that people didn't, you know, adore Flesh and Blood as being yeah, a masterpiece. Yeah, it was so well shot and well acted. It's, it's just, just it's, it's uh, fantastic. It turns out critics don't like a lot of rape, you know. And <laughs> well, guess what? Violence. They're yeah. wrong. <laughs> it serves the plot of the film. Um, it was a financial flop, and so his directing style was not very popular with the cast. He's very demanding. He's one of those people, like uh, especially with effects people, when they're working on something, he's like, "Just do it, just do it, you know, get it done," because he wants to, you know, set up and he wants to, he wants to move forward. He's very kinetic and very energetic fellow, and evidently, well, he, even in his old age, he's still that way. He tricked the beaver shot out of Sharon Stone. Uh, that that is a good point of debate, and um, uh, I mean, good on him. <laughs> but evidently, they're doing a, a new cut of the movie uh, of uh, Basic Instinct. That's it, thirty second pauses and zooms for thirty seconds. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was worth looking at back then. Yeah. Um. You know, with you know, all joking aside, with all this in mind, it should come to no one's surprise that he wasn't the first or even like the tenth choice to direct RoboCop. Okay, Jonathan Kaplan, who a year later would go on to direct the Academy Award-winning movie The Accused, which is a Jodie Foster. Oh film. God, yeah. Ugh. Um, he was her- he was hired to direct RoboCop, and he ultimately dropped out. Now, I couldn't find out the specific reasons, but I'm assuming that the the fact that it was called RoboCop probably had a little bit to do with it. Um. The next person who was offered the role uh, of the director chair was the legendary David Cronenberg. Oh, my God. 
who a year prior had directed the Academy Award winning film The Fly. Well, for effects, Chris yeah. Wallace won those awards, but still, it Academy, Award, Academy but, Award winning film The and, Fly. But he turned it down. So they, they had their eye on skilled people for this. So at the very least, the the title, which I think was in flux at this point, they were not 100% sold on it, but they knew that this script was something that needed to be helmed by somebody who knew their shit, who knew their shit and was, you know, a an A-list solid director and not just some B- no no offense uh you know like uh you know full moon directors oh, yeah. you know but like no Charles no, Band no Charles and I love Charles Band but yeah. nobody nobody in that in that ilk so what do you think would this movie have been improved if it had been a David Cronenberg movie the effects and violence yes the overall tone satirical take no, it would have been like, like it had badass special effects. I'm not sure how the RoboCop design would come out with uh, him at the helm. I, 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 well, I, that's, that's a good question because he's really into that, like, biomechanical yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, he'd have stuff melting into the skin instead of, like, you know, over. And yeah, I, I'm Paul Bear Hovenhead wins this 10 out of 10. I'm, I don't necessarily want that movie to take the place of the movie that we but have. But it'd be nice to see. But I would also like that movie in addition to it because I mean Cronenberg is you know my top three oh he's all great. time favorite directors. Um, in an effort to stop sounding like a broken record, I'll, I'll cut this short. The, the screenplay had been offered to and rejected by virtually every big name director in Hollywood before Paul Verhoeven got a hold of it, and even he rejected it twice. He rejected it. The first time, strictly based on the title. The second one, when he, he the second time he rejected, it, he read a few pages of it and was like, nah, "I'm not fucking doing this." However, his wife read it and convinced him that the story was layered and there was all these satirical and allegorical elements that they could really work with. So he finally, begrudgingly accepted the offer, which is strange because he had lost Orion. So much money, but I guess that shows you how much faith that they had in the in the script. The technical aspects in the script. Like, they know he could technically direct well, because, I mean, flesh and blood looks good, no matter what you might oh, yeah. say about it. But, you know, there's all the other flaws, and the script was probably what they had the faith in, so... There are two specific things I want to discuss as, as it relates to Paul Verhoeven, in particular to RoboCop. And the first is satire, and we've covered this a little bit, but let's just let's just talk about the broad satirical elements of, of RoboCop. I mean, what are the ones that like really stick out? All to you? the commercials, all the like in the middle of the riot, that one guy is just watching TV, and it gets too loud, he busts over. You know, I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> He's watching that, laughing his ass off. That big deal about the car. Oh, six miles to the gallon. Oh, yeah, the the, uh, the, the three thousand sucks. Yeah, or it's a SUX, and like um, just the uh, over the top corporate cutthroat attitude. I mean, one of the executives kills another executive through a hired thug. I mean, well, it isn't even just that. I mean, like we're, we'll talk about the the, the they're kills literally we- trying to destroy the city so they can build a better one. They're trying to undermine everything. It's but the the great thing about it is like how how unfazed they are by the, the one guy the, getting shot in the boardroom and the the you know the the main the um the old man which he's yeah. his as he's just like all right what what are we doing now like it, it isn't like oh my god someone's died. I have another moment. 
like when the bad guy gets fired and RoboCop can shoot him, the other guy's like has the biggest shit eating grin, jumps out of his chair. We will talk about Johnson a little later <laughs> okay. on. I have a lot to say about Johnson. Um, I'd buy that for a dollar. It's funny how in movies there can be things that it, like exist within their universe that aren't like they're not like narratively important, but they stick out and they they've like become a part of like Flavor, the, the, yeah. the lexicon of of people. But I say this so much, yeah. and I realize like how old I am because I, you know, I work with people that are you know generally about a decade younger than me. God, it makes me feel old. lesser people. Exactly, but I, I say that constantly, and I come to a realization in doing research for this. Like, they don't have a fucking clue what I'm talking about. You know, you're in management. Have like a team meeting where you make everybody watch RoboCop. That's all. <laughs> team I building exercises. Team building exercises. <laughs> yeah, um, RoboCop and um, Salo. <laughs> Y'all work at a haunted attraction. You know what it's like to be haunted in your soul. <laughs> well, I, I we, we have a labor short shortage yeah, in America. So maybe I don't. Maybe, maybe I don't want to run them off. However, um, that would be a good team building exercise. That people, I mean, how could you hate watching RoboCop at work? That's that shows you they need to be fired. And Tennessee's Nat will work today. Just don't say that's the reason they're getting fired. No, I will. I'll go on record. You're being fired because you don't like. I'll RoboCop. take that to court. The great thing about RoboCop is that it's a film that works strictly as like a dumb action movie, but those who don't pick up on the satire, like, they're missing out on... Like 40% of what makes a movie good. It's it's so funny. Oh, God, It's yeah. so absolutely funny. So, uh, you touched on this a little earlier, but do you think RoboCop is a better comedy or is it a better action movie? It's a better action movie. It's, um... It's like the action movie's the stake... And I'm not saying the comedy is the sizzle. The sizzle is the method of preparation, the seasoning, and presentation. But the meat of it, it's a badass fucking action movie where just motherfuckers get blown up and it's so great. And there's cocaine <laughs> and uh, Kurtwood Smith. <laughs> but but it's the, the, the satire, like the whole... What is it? Omnicorp? Uh, Omni consumer Omni consumer products becomes a bigger and bigger villain throughout the entirety of the franchise. Yeah, like that corporate shit on like it's sixty percent the action and like just awesome villains. One of the one of the things about about film that like in and I don't want to get too academic on you, but when you when you really want to pin down like what a movie is, when it sort of blends genres, if you want to pinpoint what a movie is and it's a good movie, you turn the sound off. You watch that movie strictly based off of what's going on on screen. So in broad terms, RoboCop is an action film. Oh, yeah. Now, I mean, there's elements of drama and stuff in there, but broad strokes, it's an action film. And um, like – there's a good uh, example for like comedy, like uh, comedy. If you turn the sound off, you're still going to see the comedy because you're going to see the reactions of people, even though you may not hear. That's why Three Stooges is the high, most highest brow comedy I, you can have. All I women agree. are wrong. But it's not just for, not just slapstick. Yeah, no, any it's, kind you're of. seeing the reaction of people to them delivering dialogue, and it still comes across funny. Now, that's not true for everything. That's not true for bad movies. You put Samurai Cop on mute and watch it, it's straight up like a Marx Brothers movie. <laughs> <laughs> it, may, it may actually make it funnier. Yeah. 
But I, I, if if you apply this to RoboCop, I, I think that action. you know ground ground level, it is an action movie. But those those comedic moments oh, shine through. They golden. shine through regardless. Okay, now that we've established the the uh, foundation, satir- yeah. the satirical elements of RoboCop. The other aspect we got to talk about is the symbolism, in particularly to its religious. RoboCop is Jesus. He's here to save humanity and shoot rapists in the dead. Well, that was my next question. Is RoboCop Jesus? Absolutely. He, he literally walks on water. <laughs> he does. Paul Verhoeven, I read his book, like the director's devil. I found it at Dollar Tree for a dollar. I read his book on directing. It is flat out. He kind of did it as a... Like, that's elements of that are in the script, but like he, you know, tweaked and shows how he shot... To kind of piss off the religious, right? Not knowing, like he's, it was like a little bite my thumb at you, yeah, without being explicit and putting him on a cross or anything. But he does get speared well, he, by he, Roman. He, he, he does get speared, and then there's a there's like a couple of shots. I mean, it's really quick where there's two steel girders, yeah, and he's he's, yeah, he's on, up he's, against he's them. Up That's against when them, he gets. So. I mean, but yes, that was very intentional. And yes, uh, RoboCop is my lord and savior. <laughs> I used to have a Facebook. WWRCD. I used to have a, a, um, a RoboCop religious group on Facebook. <laughs> and um, it may actually still be up because, I mean, this has been like, this is like the 2007 We're bringing version. it back, man. The the the, uh, the Church of RoboCop. I remember uh, years ago there was a, a... Dead or alive, you're praying with me. <laughs> There was a. Do you, do you remember somethingawful.com? Yes, I love something. They else. used to have a thing called Photoshop Friday. Yes. I don't. I don't know if it still exists or the not. King, the King Diamond rap album still has to this day me cracked up. That's like, that's good stuff. But they did one where it was like religious movie posters, and it was um, oh crap, what's the the Mel Gibson Passion of Passion the Tribe? It was the Passion of the RoboCop, and I was like, <laughs> I want this on a shirt so fucking bad. And this is back when, you know, you'd post something to, to uh, the internet and, like, the quality would be good enough yeah, for yeah. a screen, but you couldn't steal it and, no. like, print it on a shirt. But uh, do you think uh, RoboCop is Paul Her- Fairhoven's best film? Uh, for enjoyability? Probably. For his, like, honestly, he still really stands by Showgirls. And all his, I, you know, the thing about Showgirls is that, like, if you watch it as an adult, it's so blatantly a comedy. But it like does high it, camp comedy. Uh, Naomi Malone, know me, I'm alone. Like it's, it's almost like he and he's not. He was serious about some of those things. It's like it's like he had a stroke, and he's like, I'm doing the very. His sim, symbol, symbolism heavy movie, and then had a stroke writing it and filming it. But best movie, it's definitely my favorite. Like, I love Starship Troopers. I got the whole, I'm uncomfortable with them as the good guys thing right off the rip. Because the book, and I had read the book. The book's not. It's strictly, it's not explicitly American exceptionalism. It's coming from that point of view. They're 100% the good guys, Robert Heinlein stuff. But 
like I kind of got like he's scared, and when they're all stomping and doing the videos, they're all looking. I even said they look like Nazis. I mean, the, it's so fucking, it's so blatant in that. Just the, it's just so from the, blatant, the, you the wouldn't con- realize the, the, that the, they, if the if the mannerisms doesn't give it away, the costuming does because they look like they, the SS. They, they fucking dress uh, Neil Patrick Harris up like the fucking Gestapo. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, like, honestly, yeah, Robo, I'm just, fuck it. I'm not going to be weak. Robocop is his best movie ever. I mean, Total Total Recall is another fantastic film. I mean, and um, I don't know if you've ever seen Turkish Delight, but, I mean, it's it's a really, it's, really it's good solid movie. It's leaving, like, an impression in my head. It's tickling something. If I did, I saw it once. I've seen Blood and Iron, or... Flesh and Blood. Flesh and Blood, Blood and Iron. This is all the Nazi shits in my head now <laughs> with the uh, Starship Troopers, but, uh... And really, Casper Van Dien's the perfect cast for an Aryan you know, stormtrooper. <laughs> and I want to say this really quickly before we before we jump off the Starship Troopers discussion to get back on track for Robocop. But how dare they make sequels? How dare they? Yes, because like the sequels completely missed the point. They're just played straight as like yes, heroes no, fighting they, bugs. Like, they're horrible. Casper Van Dien should have been relegated to like. Trinity Broadcast Network action movies, and that's it. He doesn't get any more. He was in one perfect movie. He has to be in that bullshit. And I'm there. He's really in a bunch of like religious action movies. I had no idea. They are great. Me and Shannon used to watch them uh, when I worked at Lakeway. We'd go rent them at the little video tan. Oh wow! There's one with Mr. T that's fucking amazing. Oh, are you fucking serious? Dead serious. Dude, Mr. T loves his mama almost as lo- much as he loves Jesus. Telling you, it was great. Wow, okay. Well, pa- okay. Paul, Paul Verhoeven may not have been, um, he may have been the star behind the camera, but we got to talk about the star in front of the character, in front of the car- uh, camera, camera, in front of the camera, and that would be pa- Peter Weller as Robocop, a.k.a. Alex Murphy. Okay, real talk. He's great in this movie. But acting chop-wise, RoboCop, the character, gets like 10 minutes of introspective. Like, he's more than just a robotic killing machine. And that's great. Like, when he's going through the house on the virtual tour, having the memories. And then right there when uh, Murphy yeah. uh, saves him. Well, Mur- he is, he's Murphy. He's not Murphy. Lewis. Lewis saves him. I'm bad with names. And, like, offers him food. And he's like, please leave me alone. But there's always been something to bother me about Peter Weller. All right. Well, I guess we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're gonna... I'm, I'm venting. He's like talking about meeting fans and getting asked. He's like, I just get, I read the words that are on the paper. So I wonder if he's like really been upset by the pigeonhole. Well, I think I think what I'm about to lay out on you might shed some light on that. Okay. Let's talk about his uh, his uh, acting history. Uh, the the way that he ended up getting this job is that he had done a film for Orion that I absolutely love, but did no business, and that being The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai yeah. Across the Eighth Dimension. It's, Terrific film. It's the one that still has a fan base that, like, most people, if you've seen it, you will remember it for life. Yeah, it, it's a, it's the definition of a cult film. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it has a cult following, like, Rocky Horror has a cult following. I saw that movie so young, I really thought there were other movies and IP from it. Because they always <laughs> reference all these other things. I'm like, oh, there's got to be other movies then. I just couldn't find them. Yeah, it's a it's a shame that it didn't get bigger and become like its own series yeah. of things. Because that was the intention. Uh, he's in Leviathan, which is a, a halfway decent. Yeah, it's uh, got good moments. 
Uh, David Cronenberg's Naked Lunch, which I uh, absolutely love. That's where I heard an interview, and that interview was talking about reading the stuff because he loved that movie and he lobbied hard to get that movie. But you know, they ask about some other films, and I'm like, I just they hand me the script and I read the words and get take hit my marks. But this movie, I get to you know. Well, he uh, the reason he's not in RoboCop three is because he was like, no, I'm going to do Naked Lunch. Hell I yeah, work, yeah I he work wanted with. to do that. Yeah, and um, he's he's great. He's great oh, yeah. in that movie. Um, you ever seen of Unknown Origin, where he fights a giant rat? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen that. It's it's a, it's surprisingly good movie. He gets a lot of uh, good acting moments in a movie that says a stupid premise. I've never seen him be bad in anything. Like I actually like. My favorite Peter Weller performance was in Screamers. Well, that's the next one on the list, yeah. Screamers. He was also in Woody Allen's Mighty Aphrodite. He was in Star Trek Into Darkness, which I think he's the best part of that movie. Um, You're talking about the trebles. <sighs> I'm just playing. He had a reoccurring role on season five of Dexter. Yeah. Uh, he, he's a very, very uh, important. Scummy, scummy yeah, detective. Great, great Love character. It. And um, he, uh, <coughs> excuse me. More recently, had a role on uh, Sons of Anarchy, and of Very course, true. he came back to his signature role to the criminally underrated RoboCop Two. And um, I is it criminally underrated? I think it is. I think without Paul Verhoeven and and the, the satirical touch that they tried to imitate. I think that RoboCop 2... I love it. Don't get me wrong. I think at, in terms of sequels that do not contain all of the the elements that made the first one great, I think it's a good sequel. It's, it's as good a sequel as we were going to get to RoboCop. That's how I've, I've, I was going to say I view it like Ghostbusters 2. It's that's, as good that, as it was going to get. I love it. Perfect. But it is nowhere near the perfection of the original. I think that uh, you you uh, summed up my feelings pretty much exactly. Uh, it's it's Ghostbusters too. They retread I, a lot of the same ideas, but they do enough new to make it feel halfway fresh. But it'll never be as good as the first. I do have to interrupt here, and I also I got to see Ghostbusters Afterlife a couple hours before he did. I do have to say, my only flaw with that movie is them retconning part two completely. Out. No, they didn't. they never. Reference it. Yeah, they do. They, speci- they only reference the stuff in '89. They they never acted like their do, business went out. Do, Egon stole their you, shit. Do you know? Do you know why you're wrong? Why am I wrong? Because he's in Ray's occult books, which is he could have started that without it. I mean, they they Jason Ryman has said 100 that it is in continuity. Okay. Now, well, also, the uh, the toaster from GB2 is in the movie. As well. I noticed that, but I'm just saying they never reference the Empire. Uh, you know, Statue of Liberty going down to man. Manhattan. That's a bit bigger than some ghosts blowing up of an apartment building. Well, people believe the world is flat, so sometimes... <laughs> That's true. Just... Never mind. You win that <laughs> argument 100%. Um, False flag. They were crisis actors. Um, RoboCop is Peter Weller's signature role, and it's hard to think of anybody else in the role... Yeah, watch which, part three. <laughs> Robert John Burke, I think is his name. Um, which makes it all the more interesting that he was not the first choice. He wasn't the second choice or the third choice. Oh, God. I think you get the idea. Um, with that being said, let's talk about the other possible casting choices. So, the number one person that they had in mind was Michael Ironside. Oh, God. I love... I love that idea. I love Michael Ironside. The problem is that Michael Ironside has such an unlikable face. He does. God, he's just... He's only good for villains. 
I won't say that he's exclusively good for villains, but he definitely plays or hard ass. He plays better into that, you know, that sort of. He doesn't have the. I don't think he's he not can be sy- mechanically neutral. He like, doesn't. He doesn't have a sympathetic face. That's true. That's why. Yeah. Um, I, I I'm going to say nay. However, I want to pitch something to you, RoboCop Two. If you re restructured RoboCop Two as a villain and had. And rather than RoboCop 2 having him be this like big behemoth yeah. with a drug lord in his body, had it been just another RoboCop. Slightly amped up. But his his cop. You've already what, sold me. He, he's sort of like yeah. a. Um, crooked cop. He's crooked cop, but he has the, the reputation of being a good cop, but he's actually dirty. So, you know, he skirts all of his prime directives. So I think that's the only and way. And then we have on. the crossover sequel where Maniac Cop comes out and fights all of them. Fuck <laughs> that! That writes itself. Yeah. Samurai Cop shows up. We, Samurai just, cop. we just have the it's cop. a cop extended universe. <laughs> um, the next choice, um, and this is somebody that um, Paul Verhoeven had worked with previously on uh, a couple of films, um, and that being Rugger Hauer. Again, he has the sympathetic face, but yeah. it's hard to believe him as being a American cop. Yeah. Again, there's something about Peter Weller, Peter Weller, and his head shape, and like when they remove the mask and he's sitting introspectively and he's fighting. That I don't. I think Rutger Hauer has a great jawline. He looked great, mask visor on. Yeah. Everything outside of that would have, and then like I don't think Dead or Alive, you're coming to me would have. It sounded as robotically badass. He could make it so like he could dead or alive. It it absolutely would not have sounded anywhere near as cool. No. Okay. And speaking of sounding cool, um, the studio's choice because they had made a really successful film with him back in 1984, and he had quickly become one of the screen's biggest stars. And that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, no, just no. I mean, yeah, it's it sounds like a setup for a. If you if RoboCop was the movie it sounded like and nothing more, good on him. Um, complications with his large frame interfering with the costume caused this not to happen. Gotcha. So it, it wasn't even it wasn't even just them saying this is a bad idea. It's just the costume was just like not going to work with somebody yeah. that size. Now here's the here's the interesting one. Now when they're like casting this, they had some people sort of throw their names into the. Robin Williams. <laughs> yes, Robin Williams is RoboCop. No, Peter Fonda. Peter Fonda showed up on set and was like, hey, I'm ready to take this RoboCop role. And they were like, uh, we're good. He, he could have possibly, he would not have done as great as Kurtwood Smith, but I could have seen him take that role. Not RoboCop. I love Peter Fonda, but as RoboCop? No. No. I don't think that would have been good like at all. I think Robin Williams would have been a better RoboCop. Than <laughs> RoboCop. Like 80s Robo- Robin Williams. Oh, like, t- super co- yeah, coked up. Yeah, super coked up. Crazy Robin Williams. Now, casting-wise, they kept hitting walls because whoever was going to fill the RoboCop role, there was a strict criteria that the producers had in line. Number one. Had to be trim. So he had to be small enough to be yeah. able to fit into the costume and be convincing that it's a, a, a mechanism rather than a body-wearing armor. Number two, they had to be in great physical shape. Same yeah. thing. They had to have endurance to be able to wear this huge yeah. hulking thing so they weren't, like, you know, passing out all the time. And number three, they had to have a strong jawline and an expressive mouth. 
Peter Weller's got that. I mean, he t- he ticks all the boxes. The only other person that ticks all the boxes would have been Rutger Hauer. And uh, I think they I think they made the right choice. They did. And um, Peter took the job. He he actually took the job, and um, he did it at the cost of a starring role in King Kong Lives, which I think he ultimately made the yeah, right choice. Yeah, he did. I love King Kong Lives, but... It's no, not a good movie. No, it's it's, not I like it. I won't say love it, but I like it. Um, the the big the big thing that we got to talk about now is just the, the 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 how hard the production was and how difficult it was going to be because of the RoboCop costume. Now, from con- conception to reality, there was just a constant holdup of production. The whole bag of worms will have to break down into sections, and so not to lose track and, and <clears throat> get our minds to plow through this bullshit. So Ed Ed Newmeyer had this to say about the conception of the RoboCop design. The first person who took a crack at it was Chris Wallace. Now, that's who did the effects for the fly. You know, Academy Award winner. Very, very, very uh, technical guy. Um, It wasn't what we wanted. It looked like somebody threw up on a guy in a wetsuit. And I just remember (laughs) saying, John, uh, okay, so we're going to call Rob Bottin. Now, Rob Bottin did the effects for the thing, yeah. John Carpenter's the thing. So another heavy hitter in the uh, special effects department. So Robotine's a genius. That's not saying anything less of him, but he's notorious for going and doing projects sort of on his own terms. He was constantly in demand. So if he was going to do something, he would only sign on. He's like, listen, I'm oh, going to be. Control, I'm, yeah. I'm the one making the, the decisions, and you will work on my time frame, not yours. And Orion keeping this this train, you know. I mean, keeping it from derailing, they were already worrying about pre-production, kind of throwing off production, and then post-production. It was just this train wreck of ideas because the the mixture of people, they were all like alpha male, like yeah. a a you know type personalities. So they all wanted things done their way. So, with that in mind, um. Right. He's a genius, but one of the great mysteries about RoboCop is uh, what I uh, have to point out is that was this at any point ever intended to be a Judge Dredd film? Now, there's a lot to unravel in that question, and it's based off two factors. The first factor is Robotine's original design for the costume. It's it's not even kind of like Judge Dredd. It's just Judge Dredd. The helmet, the armor, I mean, it's 100% just Judge Dredd. So, I I don't know if they were, if they were, at at best, it would have been uh, copyright infringement. At worst, they're just uh, inept in, in design principle. And I just can't think that it was that. So, the second factor is undeniably the similarities between just the characters, RoboCop and Judge Dredd. So, in broad strokes, is RoboCop a ripoff of Judge Dredd? <sighs> At its basic core, no. And here's why. Judges are wholly independent. They are a law unto themselves. The whole point of RoboCop is to make a police force that is superior, strong, and completely controllable. There's still somewhat. I mean, of, yeah, there he is. Of, I'm just, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. He's got the mask. He's got the gun. He'll kill a motherfucker on sight. But still, I don't think it was. I, I, I don't think it was active 
Like, it might have seeped into the conscious, because in 87, what, uh, that would have put, uh, Judge Dredd, what, around four years out? Well, uh, it wasn't a huge, it took, I mean. It was huge in the UK, yeah. so I don't even know how they would have known about it really in America. It might have been seeping in a little. It wasn't But, active. I mean, these, these are coastal people, so, I mean, they probably. The liberal elites. They, they, they know they, what's going on in Europe. They, they knew, they knew what was hot in these, these <laughs> other, these other areas. Um. I have to I have to think to to some degree that they had to have lifted some of these elements directly from it. Now whether they want to admit that or not, now you can argue parallel thinking, but that design you don't you don't come up with the design like that if not for we want it to look like this or well, I mean, I'm going to make it look like this. Lots of heroes just have their jaw out, you know, Batman. If I showed you this picture, you'd be like, "Okay, that's Judge Dredd." Oh, you're talking about Rob. But I thought we were talking about the finalized. No, 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 no. Rob Bottin. Rob Bottin definitely knew what's up in in, in Europe. He no, definitely it, ripped no, off the the design that he had originally before the one they settled on. It's just oh, Judge okay. Dredd. Then, yeah, I would say probably. You know. Yeah. So I, it's it's hard it's hard to to say 100 percent definitively. I'll but, say it now. He's but, a thief. But but if you look at that design, you're you're only going to draw one conclusion, Judge and Dredd. it's not okay. originality. Um, rip off or not, I don't want to live in a world where you know we don't have either. So it's it's nice. Um, to get back on track, uh, the complications for the costume, for whatever reason, the decision was made that you know he would change it, that being Rob Bottin, and the final design of the costume, which this is a whole bag of worms in of itself, was greatly influenced by a book of collected art by a Japanese illustrator named, and I'm going to butcher this name, Hajime Sariyama. Get ready for this. The book is called, that they based the final design on, called Robot Sexy. The book features illustrations of sexualized robots in skimpy outfits. You cannot make this shit up. I mean, you can't make anything up with the Japanese. So, basically, we don't know if they stole the look of Judge Dredd. But they've come out and 100% definitively said they stole the, the from this book. <laughs> Sexy robot book. I mean... He's a, robot sexy. Get robot it, sexy. Get it correct. Well, you know, RoboCop. He he he's a good looking fella. I mean, I think the he's got that ass. The direction of making it sort of sleek and um, I mean, I don't, it's hard to like call the robot RoboCop suit sexy for you, but it's sexy in the way that like a like a like Corvette, a car is. Yeah, yeah, you know. So let's just talk about the final design. Like, like, what are some of the things that like stick out to you? Is just making it iconic because it's one the of the way the arms kind of sit up above the shoulder and like the neckline, the fucking leg holster. That's that to me as a kid that was that's the, coolest the greatest fucking thing. fucking thing. Like the crushing hands. Oh, the fucking the the spike that comes out. Oh yeah, to get all apparently in the in the better future that we didn't get. All information is spike oriented. <laughs> As it should be. God <laughs> damn it! God damn it! I want to live in the world where everything's spike related. Um, the the other thing is like the the human face, and I, I think that's a really interesting thing. And we're not going to like dwell on the remake so much. I've never seen it. The one thing that like the design wise that like really bothered me, but they rationalize it is, is that that RoboCop still has a human hand. 
because they wanted him to be able to shake people's hands and it still feel like a human being. Whereas RoboCop, cut it off. They, he it's still had prosthesis. They make yeah, they make a point like he still has like keep the arm like no, remove it. Um, but the only thing he has left is the face, and it's not even really his face. It's it's a synthetic thing that they've kept on there to make him appear human. So I don't know. It's a relatability kind of thing. Uh, I guess if you're if you're being pursued by something, it probably makes him. I don't know. Does that make him more scary or less scary? But in terms of like the people like that you're serving. I, I guess having a human hand would make you a little less scary, but, you know, also a little less badass. So that's why I've never bought. You know, if somebody came and told me it was a good movie, I'd give it a chance. I did watch the Total Recall, Colin Farrell abortion. I, I did not. It is don't. don't. I mean, just don't. I had zero. I don't like Colin Farrell. Yeah, I know. He's had a weird thing against him for decades. Yeah. Fuck you, you Irish bitch. <laughs> Are you just racist against I, Irish people? I did, I did, yes, I am. Um, I have Irish heritage, so I'm, I'm self-loathing. I I didn't hate the RoboCop remake, but the the biggest problem with that movie is, well, there's two ones. Number PG-13. one, it's PG-13, and that it's called RoboCop. Like, that's the biggest slights I can put against it, because as its own thing, it has some good ideas. It's got Gary Oldman in, doesn't it? It I mean, does, and it's got Samuel L. Jackson playing oh, playing, playing a, basically a Bill O'Reilly role. Oh, no, I didn't It has know. one of the... They censor him out in one part of the movie, and it's the it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in the movie. My, I think it's on one of the streaming services. I might watch it with a foot if I have nothing else. I finally made it through the Texas Chainsaw. Well, good it had you. like 15 minutes of stuff I liked. Yeah. It's have, not a good movie. It's a pick and choose your adventure yeah. of, of what bullshit you want to sit through to get through good stuff. Okay, so um, last minute costume design in a, a production. It's a production hurdle like regardless. Um, they had to endure this. In the fact, you know, they, were, they went into principal photography with the suit not even being finished because they, oh, had, they had to change yeah. it last minute. So they had to front load the filming with all the scenes that didn't require, you know, Peter Weller in costume. So they they did all the all the stuff with like I'd buy that for a dollar and mm-hmm. and all the stuff the board meetings. I stuff want that and, board game, Newcomb. Oh, Newcomb. That'd be yes, the greatest th- fucking. That th- that is so that's satirical, hardcore on the Cold War of the. I was going to take notes watching RoboCop, but I got sucked in, and the only note I took is like Newcomb would be fucking awesome. <laughs> It kind of reminds me of um, in Ren and Stimpy. They had a they had a sort of a satirical thing. Don't whiz on the electric fans. The electric fans. It's kind of the same. Yeah. Kind of the same thing. So um, finally, two weeks in, Peter finally could bring the character to life. But of course, there would be another major issue arise to the costume itself. Now, prior to filming, Peter Weller had been training with a mime, like a professional stage mime. One of the world's like most Marcel Marceau level mime. Yes, a a well respected mime, and they, they created this unique movement for the character. But the bulk of the costume prevented him from doing any of this. <laughs> now, by the accounts of the cast, who would see Peter Weller like practicing this out in like the parking lot, they said that this was probably all for the best because they he created this. Almost like a like a samurai kind of movement because this was supposed to be an advanced robot, but yeah. that sort of takes, from my perspective, takes some of what makes it kind of great away from it. Because even though it's an advanced thing, you still need those hallmarks to remind you that it's not a guy in a costume; that it yeah. is a machine. So uh, that's just 
that's for well, me. That's actually yeah, sounds like it's for the best. Weller, he's a he's a method actor, and he's and he's having quote unquote uh, you know process was disrupted, which has led to major conflicts with both the cast and in particularly with director Paul Verhoeven. And this would get so bad that Peter would exit the film. Now I didn't know any about this until I did it's research. In that book. Now Peter reluctantly came back to the film once that he saw that his stuntman was being used to film the scenes, and the stuntman was so happy, like, "Oh my god, I get to be, I get to be Robocop." He never once fucking complained. So he was like, "Well, shit, I guess I need to go and like make them make some money and, and not get you know overshadowed yeah. by this fucking stuntman." Um, so. I think you and I are probably going to have some uh, disparaging uh, inclinations and aspersions on the quality of Peter Weller's performance. You ain't Daniel Day fucking Lewis, man. You don't need to go method for a robotic police officer. What are you doing? Eating baby food? And that's all. If he, if I heard, if if you had that in your notes that all he <laughs> ate in the costume was baby food, I'll shut up and retract everything. Dude, that, you know how terrible that would be because you know how much you would shit. Eating? Just gross. And in that hot, he'd shit in the suit. Yeah, he'd be leaking out. The Although the problem seat. is, like, if you had to shit, like, it would take them hours to get you out of the suit because they literally screwed him into this. Yeah, thing. they probably gave him like some kind of like constipating type medicine or oh. something like or actually they didn't eat in the 80s it's probably died of cocaine you're right you're right so yeah that's Here, fine here's your cocaine sandwich mr <laughs> weller thank you um so like just spell it out um weller's performance like what what's what's your your pros and cons with it okay this is a movie that he had like i said he has about eight minutes really good acting Walking through the house, slowly getting more upset by the memories. He does translate that well through the costume. When the visor's off, you know, trying to talk about remembering. It's not great when he's fucked up by Boddicker. At the end. I mean, you don't need to go method for this. I mean, he's he's great. I love it. It's a beloved role, but acting six and a half out of ten. I'm not gonna lie. I, I feel the complete opposite. I I feel like this is an Oscar worthy performance. I know you're gonna like shit all over that. <laughs> I mean, hey, you I, do you. There, there's just something so resonant about this performance, and it's just it's the little things, and some of it does have to do with the movement, which admittedly was not his intention. He's having to use he's. he's it's the suit basically making him move that way. Yeah, but he he's so believable. And it's those little moments where the where the human being is shining through the circuit boards, you know that like that stuff like really resonates with me. Even it's argue- understated, but I but I think this is a really really terrific. I'm arguing your own case without withdrawing mine. There are some good moments where there are like people like you. He's supposed to know, and he's just how can I help you, officer? Those are good moments. But again, I'm just six out of ten. When he's great, he's great. And he's always great as RoboCop. Don't get me wrong, but acting. When I think big A acting, I was a method actor who got so upset I left the movie. And then the stuntman was doing just fine. <laughs> I mean, that's not a great... That's No stuntman's going to walk onto the set of There Will Be Blood and replace Daniel Day-Lewis. Unless that stuntman is Dick Warlock. Dick Warlock could do it. Oh, yeah, let's not... I, I'm sorry. He's he's heard me somewhere. He's coming. <laughs> he lives down the road from here, <laughs> Johnson City, Tennessee. Is he really? He does. Yeah. Um. 
One of the fascinating things, and I touched on this a little bit, is it's really the arc and the entire point of this movie is that it's it's the story of a man losing his humanity and then slowly reclaiming it. And even though it's told through sort of this dystopian, sci-fi, satirical lens, it's still a really human story. And I didn't pay attention to that stuff as a kid. No, no. But this one of the things, like, as an adult, like, that makes this movie really, really resonate with me. And I know we, we talked some about the, the religious allegories and stuff, but I get a hardcore um, Last Temptation of Christ vibe in parts of this movie, and I don't know that that's even was even intentional, but there there's some of that stuff that just underlying to the, the surface that just pops out to me. I can see that. So, um, we'll agree to disagree. Willem Dafoe would have been an amazing RoboCop. Slim, great jawline. <laughs> Dead or alive, you're coming with me. <laughs> Sorry, I just you said Last Temptation of Christ. You, be, like, you beat me to it. <laughs> um, that would have been more, that would have been the great like the the prototype that like went nuts that like blew his brains out in part two. Yeah. Uh, now, there's been a lot of talk in the past few years about a soft reboot. Of the original RoboCop that was sort of ignore part two and part three. So I got my he's question. He's got jetpacks in part three. Let's does, give him that. That is the that is the saving grace of part three. <laughs> Everything jet- else is terrible. Robot ninjas. Okay, there's there's jetpacks and robot ninjas. Not the not the execution of them, but just the idea of robot ninjas is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Everything else. Everything, everything else. Is dog everything shit. else is bad. Um, RoboCop reboot. Yay or nay? No. Let me spice it up for you. What if I said that Peter Willer was willing to come back? No, definitely. That makes it worse. You can't... That face is aged. I love Peter Weller, and he is great. He is a great Oscar-worthy actor. Tell me tell me, they couldn't make him look young, though. They, they, they do that? could. They could, but there's always a weird uncanny valley, even if it's tiny. I mean, a lot of that is The like- best one I've seen is the guy in pr- and, uh, the prosthetic makeup is Dr. Loomis in Halloween Kills. That was good. I, was, I'll, I'll I thought it. that was some... Like, they were trying for a digital effect that, that came out amazing, but it just prosthetics. Have you been watching... The, this is a little off-subject, but have you been watching the Chucky series? Uh, no, I'm not going to... I don't have time for that until it's all out. All right, well, it's I don't, all out, I'm I don't want to spoil it. anything, but... Um, they have Fiona Dorif playing her father, like flashback scenes, and they put her in a prosthetic. And I was like, "Holy fuck! That they how did they de-age Brad? Like the, I thought it was actually well, that's actually him. a better idea than what they did with Cursed Chucky and just kind of dyed his hair and like, <laughs> put on a lot of foundation makeup. They shot all that in black and white, yeah, so just you, so you, they could soften yeah, it. They can, you, Still it, didn't work well, but that was anyway. I digress. Now I'm going to. I mean, there, there's ways you could do it. Is my is my point? Like I, I'm I'm totally on board for a new RoboCop movie because I, I think RoboCop in 2021. The, the political and sociological well, maybe, climate, there's so much that they could satirize. But it, yeah. for me, it has to be Peter Weller. You can't do it with anybody else. Unless you just completely reboot. And Jake Gyllenhaal. I like Jake Gyllenhaal. I mean, he, but, yeah, he might be good. But I don't I, know. I, I, Elijah Wood. Because <laughs> every time you hear him in a movie and you think it's going to suck, he surprises you and it's great. I kind of want to see that movie now. Only problem is, is he's going to have to. I don't. He's going to be a robotic version of Frank Zito from Maniac. He, he needs to. Uh, he needs to grow a foot. Uh, uh, That's the great thing about effects, man. I get. I guess they could make him look taller than he actually is. 
Now, RoboCop isn't the only badass on the Detroit police force. We definitely have one that is quite a bit more attractive, and that's Nancy Allen as Ann Lewis. Uh, if she wasn't distracted by Dick, none of this would have happened. We'll talk about it. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about it. I have issues with um, Lewis. She, she's in uh, another one of my all-time favorite films, Carrie, which was directed by her ex-husband, Brian De Palma. Yep. Um, I saw this in the theater uh, not long ago at Central Cinema. It was a, an amazing moment. And they have like a prom shoot, prom set up. They did. Yeah. And when fucking Carrie goes nuts and like in the scene when all the, the lights turn red, they turn the lights red in the theater. And I got I got like a fucking boner and cold chills. And I am not exaggerating. God bless it, was, it was fucking sexual. It was sexual. The sexual thrill. So the scene where all the children are getting murdered gave you a sexual thrill. In, in context to that moment, <laughs> yes. Um, she's in Dress to Kill with David Margulies, who was in mm. Ghostbusters. You just got busted again. Uh, she, uh, another Brian De Palma film, Blowout. Really, really oh, yeah. film. Uh, Strange Invaders with Louise Fletcher, who was in it. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Danny DeVito, who was in Twins, which was directed by Ivan Ryman, who directed Ghostbusters. You just got busted again. It's busted so many times. You're on your shit revitalized with Ghostbusters after seeing Afterlife. You're going to make every connection. I, there's so many. We've only just begun. Uh, Poltergeist 3, uh, the, the, the least of the, of the three. But it's got they some tried interesting- to do it all in camera. I'll give them that. They got, tried some neat techniques. Got some interesting ideas in that film. Uh, she was in Out of Sight with George Clooney, who was in Monuments Man with, with Bill Murray, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted again. All right, and Nancy would also reprise her role in Officer as Officer Lewis in RoboCop two and three, but just like everybody, she wasn't the first choice for the role. Uh, Stephanie Zimbalist was originally cast as the role of Lewis. Is that she, the chick in Spaceballs? Is that the princess in Spaceballs? No, 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 that's oh. Daphne Zaniga. Oh, okay, I knew that. It's a weird name. Uh, no, she she's uh, best known for her role in Remington Steel. Oh, okay, yeah, and that's why she had to drop out is because they yeah. ordered new episode uh, new episodes. Yeah, they they ordered went out for me. they ordered new episodes of Remington Steel. Now, oddly enough, the reason I wanted to point this out is like this is how we ended up with the Living Daylights Timothy with Dalton. Timothy Dalton because otherwise it would have been Remington Steel Good. in that I'm movie. I'm glad it worked out. GoldenEye was one of the best movie-going experiences of my teenage years. Um, Stephanie Zimbalist was a hot property back then, but she's not really like a household name now. Like that was her hit. She had Remington Steel and probably, I think, a couple Lifetime movies. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll ask this just for the sake of asking, but like this was cast properly the way oh, it was. Yeah. Um, Nancy was not an obvious choice um, uh, because you know, she was a knockout. I mean, just absolutely gorgeous. And the character of Lewis had been written to be somewhat masculine. It's like she gained like 50, like a few pounds in the face or they did something. Because they always keep her in body armor, which I like that. They desexualize her. But I've seen that actress in a lot of other things. Like, I, I remember thinking here recently, I'm like, was she pregnant during the shoot? Because her face. I, I, I'm not exactly sure about they, that. They made but her do heroin instead of cocaine, so yeah, it didn't you're, slim her you're face. Right. You're right. But her and <clears throat> Carrie and Dress to Kill, like, holy fuck. Dress to Kill is like the sexiest she ever was. She's, that's the sex, sex on a stick. Um, Paul sent her to get her hair cut short because he wanted her... To look less, you know. Well, I like that. Not butched out, but desexualized. And um, 
he he sent her several times oh, because God. she did not want to cut her hair as short as he ended up. But this is the this is this is an, a direct quote. He he sent her several times until it was short enough not to arouse him. <laughs> That's uh, oh. Hollywood in the 1980s, wow. ladies and gentlemen. Um. The haircut wasn't the only thing that Nancy brought to the character. She had this to say, My dad was a cop for almost 30 years in New York, and I thought, I know this character. She's pretty tough, but I was talking to a friend about the character, and she said to me, You know, you're really feminine. What if you wore men's underpants under your costume? It kind of affects how you feel. So I tried that. Gotta jock it up a little bit here. Okay. Does this change your perception, like, of the character knowing that she's wearing underwear? Not that she's wearing them, but, like, does this make you more hyper-aware of, like, I, I kind of want to watch the movie again uh, and, I, and see if I'm this, like... I'm mildly curious, but I paid a lot of... Uh, I paid a lot more attention this last time I watched it, just a few days ago, to her rather than the other aspects. Um, I mean, she did a good job, but again... I guess whenever we get to it, we get to it. She's the cause of all of this. <laughs> there has been a huge internet debate. I mean, going back to like the mid nineties when like the internet was like a first, a thing Damn. on whether or not officer Lewis was intended to be a lesbian or not. I don't think so. Um, Either way, I mean, well, I don't she, know for an '80s movie, short hair and butt, and you know, I mean, she's she's definitely she's definitely was definitely desexualized. But you made an a, a interesting point. Um, she definitely has at least a casual interest in penises. Loves that dick, BBC so, baby. Why why was Lewis mesmerized by Cox's it, it penis? Was, it was big, thick, veiny. It's like a. A baby's arm holding an apple, and she wanted to get a piece. Well, I mean, but is this a lesbian curious as to what a piece looks like? Well, I mean, it like? could be. Well, no, I don't believe that. But I mean, he could like even a lesbian is going to stop in awe of a big dick. It had to have been <laughs> great. Or, in my opinion, she's a whore that should have kept her mind on the job, arrested the man, and backed up her partner. Wow. So it wasn't her just looking at it nervously. No, it was. I mean, it could be scary, but there, there wasn't nerves in her eyes. That wasn't fear. That was, that was like, yeah, Mama wants some. Okay. Well, the 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 last the the last possible, um, and uh, this is a hugely politically incorrect term. So go ahead and just I'll get it out of the way. Y'all get canceled every can, week on can, Wrestling Rowan. Let's do can, it here. Cancel me. Don't cancel Tony. But does. Officer Lewis have quote unquote jungle fever. I think she's open to love of all. I don't think she sees race. She just sees cock. Well, the she's colorblind. Well, I, I <laughs> or maybe she feels bad as a police officer, knowing that the institutional prejudice that her her job has had since its inception, that she wants to kind of even the scales of justice with her vagina or mouth. <laughs> you know, she's not taking that big thing in her butt. That's where she draws the it line. It was the eighties. It was less common back then. So. No, I don't believe. I think it was just an impressive enough dick. I don't think race entered into it. I mean, she had, but, but it wasn't that she saw it. She just she had to look at it. What's the yeah. allure? Like she had to look at it. It was maybe it's maybe it's beautiful. You know, there's some big dicks that just look yes, good. but yes, but but she looked. She could she could have chose not to look. If it's so good, it draws the eye. It's like a magnet. This is like a dick. Or maybe dick she magnet. woke up horny that morning. 
Any dick would have done. Any dick would have done. All right. Um, <laughs> the only confirmation one way or another about Lewis's sexuality comes from writer Ed, New- Ed Newmeyer. Lewis has always was always meant to just to be a partner and not a love interest, and that was important to me at the very beginning. And that quote doesn't confirm anything, but it does shed some light on the interesting quality of the film. I, your your typical eighties movie would that she would have been the love interest? Yeah, they would have done something with it, and I like that they they were one of the people to subvert that expectation pretty early on. Now it's it's expected to be subverted. You hardly ever see like romance. It's always like oh, we're just partners because it was been done so much in the eighties. I think that it would have hurt the movie. Oh yes, specifically yep. because he's. He's having this these memories of like his family and stuff. Yeah, so that's, and that's that's gone. That's now. the human the human draw is is he's drawn to this life that he can't have anymore. Um, so I, I'm I'm really glad they didn't make her a love interest. Um, I do I do want to say that I think her role in this movie is that she's she's sort of the the human conduit. Yeah. For him, um, she's she, the first one to recognize and. Yeah. She she goes out to bat when the fucking police are just shooting up, destroying a whole parking lot, blowing up. Just who cares where all these bullets fly? When they go to kill Robocop, they're like, fuck it, casualties, casualty. Just um, every- They shoot at, they, no, they blow up the car knowing there's a human cop in there. I've just realized that. They don't stop firing, ever. Cocaine. ACAB man <laughs> fuck 12 <laughs> every hero needs a villainous counterpart and Robocop features one of my personal all time favorites we have Kurtwood Smith as Clarence Boddicker oh my god he, he steals every time he's on camera he steals the show Rambo 3 Quick change. With Bill Murray, who was in Ghostbusters, you just got busted. Star Trek VI, Fortress, which is a super yeah. underrated film. Boxing Helena. Or oh, Helena. 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 Boxing Helena. Uh, that's a Sherilyn Finn film. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Julian Sands. And Kim Bassinger. That's the one where she got sued over her verbal contract that she wouldn't do it because there's nudity, but she said she would, so they took her to court. That's the only reason I still remember that. That and Sherilyn Finn can get it. Uh, I just watched um, Meridian the other day. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, she gets... She gets uh, all wore out of VHS. La- she gets laid by uh, a uh, werewolf, werewolf man. man. Uh, he was in The Crush, To Die For, Under Siege Two, Deep Impact. But he's best known other than the role of um, Clarence Boddicker from this film. Uh, Two hundred episodes as Red Foreman in that '70s show. Kurtwood had been in acting for quite a few years and hadn't really had a breakout role. So when he read the title of the script, he was less than thrilled. He had this to say. I was still kind of struggling as an actor, so I get this script sent to me for RoboCop, and I went, ugh. And then I went, oh, well, maybe it'll be fun. Then all of a sudden, for me, it went from, ugh, to playing this villain who I was determined to have a lot of fun with. Now, Kurt Wood originally auditioned for the role of Dick Jones, and when he learned that he had been cast, he thought that that's the role he had gotten. Not until later did he find out that he would be playing the role of Clarence Boddicker. Now, there are two separate accounts as to the reasoning behind the character of Clarence Boddicker having glasses. Kurtwood says that being um, Dutch, that Paul Verhoeven had grown up, you know, during like the Holocaust. And he thought that um, when wearing glasses, that 
Kurtwood resembled Heinrich Himmler. God damn. He agreed with the idea, stating that the bigger, more menacing villain would come across as someone who could be merely outsmarted, while his character with glasses makes him look smarter, therefore made him more of a threat. However, Michael, uh, or sorry, Ed Newmeyer had a different account. He had this to say, I always wanted him wearing glasses. I wanted him to be considered smart. I based him on a terrorist, Carlos the Jackal, who was known to throw grenades into crowded marketplaces. Oh yeah, that guy's whole story is fucking bananas. So... Either way, um, Clarence Bodiger is supposed to be a fucking, you know, psychopath. And, you know, he doesn't chew the scenery. He feasts on it. He's every so good. time he's on camera, he steals every scene, even getting his ass beat by Robocop. Just, I work for Dick Jones. Okay. Where he goes in, bitches leave. Classic. That's great. My favorite scene in the movie is when he's doing the negotiation with the drug kingpin. He sticks no. his fingers in the... <laughs> yeah, no, oh. fucking guns, guns, guns. He's just excited. He doesn't give a fuck. He's, he's so fucking <sighs> intent and sleazy, but... Can't meet a woman without trying to get his dick wet. He just goes, oh. He's so, fu- he's so fucking menacing. But um, to, to, the, to their point, do the glasses make him look smarter? I know that's sort of a, a shorthand uh, movie maybe, thing. Maybe back then in the 80s, but we've seen that so many other times. I, I, it doesn't even enter into it with me. I, I know, but you, you got to think though. We're we're oh, you we're, look dumb now. You just took off your glasses. I, I did. You're right. Well, we're 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 super jaded when it comes to movies. I mean, between us, you know, 100,000 films, you know. When he's with the executive, no. But when when he's around his henchmen, he looks I do believe he does look smarter in comparison because of the glass. I can see that. Um, Kerwood's performance in, in RoboCop, it may be my favorite from any movie ever. It comes it's down so to great. the little things like, you know, sticking his fingers in the guy's glass of wine, smelling it like he'd fingered some girl on prom night. Um, he hit it he, when he hits on Dick Jones's secretary. Like, yes. that's, that's good stuff. Do you know who the secretary is? No. That was actually his wife. Oh, so that's uh, good. Joan Perkle. easy to her. What was her name? Joan Perkle. Perkle. That's a name. Yeah, a very, very un-Hollywood <laughs> name. Probably why he's had a more successful career than she has. Kurtwood Smith's a good, solid Hollywood name. It, it's, it's, that's, it's like a cowboy name. Yeah, it's very, really. That's what he would have been if he'd born two decades earlier. Um, The the lines. Uh, you, you mentioned yours. I have two. Um, can you fly, Bobby? I uh, that's another oh. thing. I I quote that on a near daily basis, and it goes over the heads of everything. But my uh, my absolute all time favorite line from any movie ever: "Bitches leave." Bitches leave. I know you and I quote <laughs> yes. that constantly. I said it to you right when you opened the door. It, I came prepared for this one, and I don't know. If it was Ed Newmeyer or if it was Michael Meyer, but whichever one of them it is was God Himself, they I, they I were am. divinely touched. Yes, the Odin came from the halls, descended <laughs> on the wings a of light, the Valkyrie. A lightning bolt struck their penis, <laughs> and they were so engorged with with uh, inspiration that it just vomited from. They their- have no conscious memory. They were possessed. <laughs> Um, props to Verhoeven for allowing Kurtwood to improvise and flesh out a lot of his character. He had this to say about putting the twist on things. The first day I shot was when RoboCop dragged me into the police station. He threw me up against the counter and said, 
book him. The first thing I did was go to Paul and say, Paul, what if I spit blood on the desk? And Paul was like, yes! <laughs> Let's try this! Boom! <laughs> then the, then it was for... It, that was it for me and Paul. From then on, we were on the same channel and for the rest of the movie. Now, obviously, Kurt had an incredible career, and I, I'm actually kind of surprised that RoboCop didn't become like this launching pad from him becoming a major... Like one of the the big character actor villains oh, yeah. in in Hollywood, um, could he have been on the same level as like an Alan Rickman or like a Jonathan Price? You know, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think he could because I've seen him in a bunch of stuff and he has some fucking range. No, he's he's terrific. Yeah, he's so, so and he's too. got that. He has the menacing. He ostensibly, I mean, he's not. He's dead with a good heart, but he's the villain in a lot of the episodes of that '70s show. He's dumbass. The, he's the best part of that show. He really is. Bar none. Um, do you think he could have been a Bond villain? <sighs> he could have been like your hesitation pisses no. me off, and here's why. Because I'm gonna I'm gonna cast I'm gonna recast a movie for you, and, I, okay. and tell me this would not improve this movie. So I mentioned Jonathan Price. I, I mentioned him specifically. Yes. Tomorrow Never Dies. It's one of my least favorite Bond movies, yeah. and the reason is. Is because of Jonathan Price. Now put Kurtwood Smith in the role of the person who's manipulating the news. Tell me that doesn't improve this movie tenfold. <sighs> yes, but I'm not going to say tenfold because it is good to have a a villain with a European accent. If he could put on one, I think oh, he'd be a great German, <laughs> a German news magnate, just manipulate everything. And yeah, you're right, that is. But I'll take that one over either Timothy Dalton. Even though the last couple minutes of uh, last one to kill, he gets pretty bait. That's the best way ever kills a villain. Well, we'll we'll save the Bond discussion yeah. for another time, and we'll talk about Clarence Boddicker uh, a little more as we uh, get into our, you know, our his many exploits during our, uh, our killing section. Oh, you have a killing? Ooh, <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> But first, we got to talk about RoboCop's other villain, and that's Ronnie Cox as Dick Jones. Um, Long career, well, a well-touted character actor. Deliverance, Harper Valley PTA, The Beast Within, which is one of the best yeah. gory films of all time. Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2, with Eddie Murphy, who was in Trading Places with Dan Aykroyd, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted again. Who should have been in Ghostbusters. Could have been, should have been, but he, he went on a different career trajectory. You know what else Ronnie Cox was in? One of our favorite films, Steel Justice. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, he was also in Loose Cannons with Dan Aykroyd, who was in <laughs> Ghostbusters. You just got busted. He was in Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was in Junior, which was directed by Ivan Ryman, who directed Ghostbusters. You just got busted again. He was in the uh, terrible Captain America movie, the one from the early yeah, 90s with, um, with um, J.D. Salinger's son. Yeah, just no. Um, lots of TV, including reoccurring roles on Stargate, SG-1, um, more recently on the show Nashville. And he got to be a victim of Dexter. So he's, he's yeah. hit all the career highlights. The genius of RoboCop is that it has so many layers, like it, it, commenting on gentrification, the privati- privatization of uh, public programs, you know, the pitfalls of unregulated capitalism. So let's break down the many crimes of Dick Jones. <laughs> so gentrification. So you talked about this a little earlier. Like, what's the plan to, with they Delta just City? Pretty much just destroy, gut, ruin all of Detroit and make this huge corporate kingdom pretty much built, run by, patrolled by 
everything. Yeah, but, by, the, uh, but, but no low-income housing, yeah. so only, yeah, it's only, only rich yeah. white people can live there. Exactly, Ben. They don't care who. That's why, as the series of movies progress, they become the bigger and bigger. All the villains, except like Kurtwood Smith, but he's connected to them. They all come from Omni. But then, like, part two... Still more in part three, it's straight up them as the bad guys. Yeah, they're just horrible. Um, he's a great sleazeball when he gives that little video message to the dude he's having killed. Oh yeah, on a on a DVD, <laughs> which was like uh, not even a, a form of media yeah, at just, that time. They they predicted it, like put this CD in and and that fucking uh, cash in your check or however he says it. Is he's 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 the quintessential nineteen eighties sleazy businessman, sociopath businessman. Yeah, just um, uh, the private privatization of the police force. Now here we are, and there's you know, been a big push for defund the police, and however you feel about that, um, it's not saying do it without police. It's saying allocate resources better. Sorry, I'm, we, I'm a liberal cocktail. And we, I think we both agree <laughs> on on that line. But the actual like privatization of like a corporation running the police—that's a nightmare. That is terrifying. That is, that is a straight nightmare. I've seen uh, and heard about just privatized prisons. I don't think there should be for-profit prisons. That's a fucked no, up idea. Absolutely, you shouldn't profit off of. Yeah, uh, that's the, that's a whole big yeah, industry yeah, that actually exists. That's 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 a scary, scary thing. Um, but the they use the, this privatization of the police force is it's twofold. It's to help corral and get those poor people out, but they're also peddling to to those people. They're keeping them poor and and hooked on drugs because they're like. You know, pushing them and stuff, so they're profiting off of like misery, like tenfold. So this is like a, a multi-level uh, scheme Ugh. of of evil. He's, he's going to get them out, all the millions of workers. He's going to have his fingers in those pies with the drugs. It's just he's just this guy. And I'm sorry, Ed Two Hundred Nine is just not a good design. It looks cool, but when you think about it for more than two seconds, it's not. We'll, we'll talk about Ed Two Hundred Nine in just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we will. Um. Uh. <laughs> Abuse of power. That's a, oh that's another God, one. Yes. Like the abuse of power is just uh, out out the, the yin yang. Um, Dick pushes for the Ed Two Hundred Nine program, despite the fact that it's wholly defective. Uh, so OCP can they can get this huge government contract and they can make money off of it, and they know that it doesn't Spare work. Parts and everything. But he's using this as as a means to like climb the corporate ladder. It's you know stepping on the back of the person ahead of you, yep. and it's just it's climbing the ladder. You know, amorally. And this allows Bob Morton to get the, the approval for the RoboCop program, which directly leads to Dick Jones hiring Boddicker to kill him. So it's just, it's back. This is like Game of Thrones. But yeah, in, in urban, corporate. In, or, or I, was, I almost said urban, but it is somewhat urban. Yeah. Urban corporate, you know. Modern day environment. Um, but before we talk about Bob Morton's murder, we got to talk about the exchange that he and Dick Jones have in the washroom. <laughs> okay. Am I reading this wrong? Is there less to this than, than I'm picking up? Do, do you do you pick up on a homoerotic undertone to the way that Dick Jones handles Bob Morton? I I don't really pick up on homoerotic. It, this is it, there's dick way. It's specifically in the bathroom because these guys wave their dicks around, 
And he gets caught with his pants down talking shit on the guy above him. Literally. Right when he, yeah, right when he, you know, he does hit. He strikes when the iron is hot and he gets his baby. But he does it disrespectfully. He does it, he does it like a a young cub uh, lion taking on the, the, the leader of the pride. And uh, it ends just as bad for him as a losing. Well, I, I mean, I'm not disagreeing. I with don't you. get the home order. I, I just okay. think there's pure testosterone could be misread. When when he approaches him, he he takes his hand and he, like brushes it across his cheek, Stop and us. then he grabs his hair. It's I, I. He's like, I'm invading your private space, and then I'm going to control you physically. I'm dominating every element. I'm, and just because I'm hard thinking about that, I'm not. I'm not saying that he isn't doing that. I'm saying that he's he's intentionally trying to make him feel uncomfortable because this is a yeah. This I is mean, an environment that is not true homoerotic overtones, but he could be using it to put him off his keel. I, I think that I mean, okay. I'll give, I'll agree with that. I don't think like he's horny for him. I he's I horny for his dad. Rewatch rewatch the scene later on and tell me. And view it from that perspective and okay. tell me you don't pick up on something. There's something there. And I, th- I have to think that's probably direction from Verhoeven, like, yeah. to try it like this. Do it like this. And, you know, the Dutch are... They're, the Dutch. They're, the, yes, 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 yes. They're a little more adventurous with their, with <laughs> their really open tight, sexuality. but very I, sexual. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that was him just like, this, this is, you know, this will make it creepy or... I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Dick Jones. If Dick Jones w- was a, a homosexual, it doesn't it doesn't make his character better or worse necessarily? No. Um, but it just I don't know. I just it, it could be an interesting layer to the the many layered onion that is his character. Um, it's funny how age can change your perspective on things because if you'd asked me like when I was six years old who the villain of RoboCop was, I would have told you unequivocally that it was Clarence Boddicker. Because he's the one that gets his hands dirty. But as an adult, oh, how yeah. things have changed. Is Dick Jones a scarier villain in 2021 than he was in 87? Oh, yeah. Because now you're seeing this was in the middle of Reagan deregulating everything and capitalism run amok. Now, like this, he he's the logical villain in 2021. He would make the most sense in a fucking reboot. Uh, because, you know, he is ultimate greed and average. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, there, there, yeah. there's a lot you can really draw from now. I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot they of meat to, on the bone. If they're going to redo it, though, they do need to alter it a little bit where it's already... The old man is an Elon Musk... Um, who's the Amazon guy? Uh, Jeff Bezos. Uh, analog. And it has to be somebody right under him. Somebody basically right under some of the most powerful people on Earth. They couldn't obviously say it, do Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, but an analog and a company like that. And Amazon would be a good company to kind of ape because they're into every fucking yeah, thing. Yeah, that's true. That's Elon true. Musk just does electric cars and human trafficking. <laughs> <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> no, I'm saying he, he sells. He's the one that gathers the children for the satanic cabal, the Adrena- adrenochrome. Oh hell! Or, um, uh, Dick Jones may be killing careers in the boardroom, but I'm fairly sure everyone came to this podcast to hear about the actual killings in RoboCop. And holy fuck, there are a plenty. 
So let's get to it. Oh, Number yeah. one, during a boardroom demonstration, going awry, an OCP junior executive who is played by Kevin Page is shot an estimated 200 times by ED-209. What do you give this kid? 10 out of 10. And it's a 10 out of 10 in either cut. Either the director's cut when it's ludicrously long because it's funny, or in the uh, theatrical cut because it is shocking. Uh, before I give you my rating, uh, well, let's talk about the, uh, the the different cut disparity. There's really not. I mean, at the end of the day, it is. You kind of see how stupid the MPAA is. Well, because it's tiny Ver- cuts here. Verho- and there. Verhoeven manipulated the MPAA to getting a more visceral film in the theaters simply by cutting stuff yeah. because he he holds on that shot of him getting he did like Matt shot. Parker and Trey Stone did with the piss and he shit with Trey the Parker and Matt Stone yeah the South Park guys didn't team America they had a piss and shit in the puppet sex and that's literally the only thing they had to cut yeah because if you show them something ridiculous you're going to get away with murder yeah. because you know you've, you've you've already set the bar so high that you cut that out they feel they've got to win I gave this a 10 out of 10 and I agree either version whether it's played for comedy and the uh, the unrated cut, holy fuck! That <laughs> so it is great. it is so funny because it just keeps going on. But the the visceral theatrical cut, like it, wow! It's one of the most violent things I've ever seen in a movie. And yeah, it, it's just it's one of those scenes that will constantly you know be in the back of my head. There's this scene that stuck out with me in my childhood, and I believe it's in uh, Missing in Action Two where they shoot the guy's brains out. They execute, they put a gun to somebody's head, and you actually see brain matter come out. That, that might be... I know I'm, it's one of the missing, actually. I'm blanking uh, offhand, which which it may I be. I want to think it's the second one, because I, hate I hated the movie overall more than the original. You'd and be wrong. Thing, <laughs> but, uh, like, those things stuck with me. Like, oh, my God. And, yeah, the RoboCop. Well, we've talked about this a lot. Like, the difference in, like, glorified violence and, like... Matter of fact, violence. Matter of fact, violence is more effective because it's not it's not playing up the fun of it. Here's where uh, Stank Dicketti's going to get mad at me. That's one of the things I really liked about Rob Zombie's Halloween remakes. That's just matter of fact violence. Yeah. I mean, it's over the top and bloody, but it's just showing what happens when somebody dies. Yeah, listen. Y'all were too harsh. Y'all were too harsh. If anything, I was too easy on it. (laughs) All right. um, A little bit of trivia about this. On set, Paul Verhoeven got a major bloodlust, and he expanded this scene to insane proportions. uh, So it was was very minimal in the script, but he was basically, more blood, more blood, more bullets. (laughs) So... um, Let's talk about Ed 209 before we move into the next one, because that's the other component to this. Ed 209 is played very seriously at first, yeah, but he then, basically becomes a Three Stooges routine by the end of the yeah, movie. Yeah, I mean, he even has like a pig squeal sound it, effect when he falls down the stairs. Him falling down the stairs is one of the, the most laugh-out-loud scenes in a movie Oh, ever. I love how, because you see him hesitate, you see him hesitate, and then when they do the actual shot, they just you could tell they just threw the model down the stairs. <laughs> and then the toe twitches. <laughs> and him getting blown up at the very end of the movie. I mean, it's great. I, I, I love Ed 209. Um, the the toy as a kid. Oh, I, yeah. I, that was, that was, that was man, a lot let's of fun. Talk about, I'm sorry, man. Back in the day, they made I remember RoboCop toys, Terminator 2 toys, even in my head, I don't think it's a direct commando toy, but it was definitely a knockoff because of the no, success. No, it was. It was. It was. Direct. I had no. I had a vest with a grenade and a machine gun. 
Well, it was a different time, man. They were, oh, I was like in pre-kindergarten. De- I was like in kin- going de- into kindergarten. Deregulation. That's one of the positive deregulations. Okay, good job on that, Reagan. Like you killed the middle class for us millennials, but I did get to have a vest with the grenade. You put a little uh, cap in it, and you could pop. <laughs> um, number two. Officer Murray, uh, Murray, fuck, Murphy and Lewis are in hot pursuit of Clarence Boddicker and his gang. Um, after a robbery, they exchange gunfire in an effort to get the cops off their tails. Clarence looks to Freddie Heiss, who is playing the role of Bobby and quips, Can you fly, Bobby? And throws him into the windshield of the car. Now, I'm going to hear it's, yours it's, first. Not, it's not expressly said that he's dead. But the way he hits and gets slung off the car, <laughs> yeah, if he's traffic. not if he's not dead, he's going to die. I gave this an eight out of ten. Um, I gave it an eight out of ten as well. It's one of my favorite lines of dialogue, and not to mention that it, it's preceded by another a really great line of dialogue. You burn the fucking money. I think without that line, I, I definitely would have been a seven because the line just. And his, and honestly, only Kurtwood Smith his delicate and you fly by his voice. It's it's pitch perfect. A little bit of trivia about this. Freddie Heiss is a world-renowned stuntman, and this this was a very serious yeah. stunt. Like, you, I mean, he legit goes through that windshield and gets flung off the car. Back before CGI, folks. Um, he's worked on everything from Earthquake, National Lampoon's Animal House, Rocky 2 and 3, Scarface, Le- Lethal Weapon 1 and 2, Fatal Attraction, Maniac Cop, Rambo 3, They Live, Last Crusade, Tango and Cash, Total Recall, Home Alone, Point Break, From Dust Till Dawn, Iron Man, D- Django Unchained, but last, Damn. but not certainly not least, the Blues Brothers starring Danny Aykroyd, who was in <laughs> Ghostbusters, you just got busted. <sighs> All right, number three. Against better judgment, Murphy and Lewis are pursued, uh, or they're pursuing Boddicker and his gang, and without waiting for backup, which they rightfully should have done, yeah. they jump the gun. And the two split up, and Murphy gets the drop on the villains, only to grossly be outnumbered. He gets the shit kicked out of him. He has his hand shot off, and we f- he finally gets a bullet through, blown through the back of his skull. It's a mercy. What do you give this kill? Ten out of ten. And the laughter of the fucking dudes as they're doing it, and like, give that man a hand, and quipping, and ten out of motherfucking ten. I I gave this also a ten out of ten. This is an extremely violent version, like of the old west myth. Oh now, yeah. Now, like this would have been the part where like he would have been nicked, and like he would have been put down, and then like he would have had to have come back later to like face not only his own mortality but his own, you know, put his fortitude to test. Like it's it's a good it's a good play off those things, but you know, he just gets a fuck turned up to a <laughs> It, it's it, it's actually kind of emotional too, just the 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 difference in the cuts because like the the theatrical cut is very matter of fact, but then you get in the X rated cut, you actually get to see the the full force of like the puppet, yeah. and you have that shot through the hole in his fucking head, and like that's that's gross, 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 gross stuff. Number four, Mike Moroff, who you may remember from Candyman 3, Return of the Living Dead, Death Wish 4, and Scarface uh, plays the role of Hophead. Hophead enters a mom-and-pop convenience store and attempts to rob the old couple running the place. Uh, They empty the cash register to Hophead, but he insists that they empty the safe as well. When they deny that they have one, he kicks over the stack of beer cans to reveal their safe. It was, you know, hiding it in plain sight, which used to be such a common occurrence and convenience stores. Yeah. You do not see that anymore. No, that no. was such an 80s thing. Um, 
RoboCop shoot comes in and you get that awesome <laughs> sound effect. You get the, you know, the great um, hero shot of him walking yeah. in and the sound effects are so, so crisp. And he shoots him, and the you know he, the bullets <laughs> yes. pop off of, and he bends the gun, and he throws him into the fucking like the what do you cooler. call it the, the like the glass cooler. Uh what do you what do you give this? Seven out of ten. Well, actually, I'm gonna because I'm making the I didn't know you were gonna do this part. Six and a half out of ten because it's great, but in a movie of shit that has that's not the we're not done with the ten out of ten kills in this. It, I mean, it's cool and it's a great hero moment, but as a kill, six and a half. I'm going to give it an eight out of ten. You got the great hero reveal of Robocop. The sound effects are so crisp and memorable. It's the kill, but though. this is the scene that introduces another one of the great lines. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's just the, it's the juxtaposition of like the seriousness and the comedy. It just, it's a perfect mix of things. There was not near enough blood squibs for my taste. No, no. <laughs> you're right. You're right. But that's why I didn't yeah. give it a ten out of ten. Okay. Uh, number five. During the hostage negotiation scene, we have an unidentified body riddled with gunshot wounds. Um, this is this, this still is, gets a four out of ten because it's bloody as fuck. I gave it a three out of ten. Uh, it's the aftermath of a gruesome, you know, scene. But RoboCop, uh, this is RoboCop. I expected there to be more on-screen violence. Yeah, that's true. Um, number six. A young lady is being assaulted. Um, in an alleyway. And, uh, a young woman is being assaulted by two unruly thugs in a parking lot. One of the thugs who is played by William Shockley. He takes a knife and cuts the lock of the woman's hair off. The other uh, thug makes up the remark, There's no more hair down there. So they start things, get a little bit on the uh, rapey side, just as Robocop pulls up in his roaring Ford Taurus. The music blaring. Uh, Robocop instructs them to let the woman go, and they were under arrest, but they do not comply. So Robocop uses his targeting system to aim through the woman's skirt, and he shoots the thug in the dick. Ten out of ten. I don't care. That's the, that's the scene that sticks with even a kid. That's the scene where, like, my, my mom's like, yeah, like, almost left her seat. This is the greatest thing that has ever been in a movie. Have you seen the our RoboCop remake clip? Yeah, yes, I <laughs> they have. Just shoot off. That's the best. That's the only really good part of that movie. I'm, I'm gonna. Oh, just, that's okay. I, I really liked our RoboCop remake. And for those of you who are unaware, they took every scene of RoboCop and they had different filmmakers and different film styles recreate every scene. But during this scene, there's like a hundred <laughs> rapists, and RoboCop just keeps blowing dicks up off. dicks. It's fan fucking. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I was. A little too harsh, but that is my favorite scene in the movie. But yeah, no, like ten out of ten. Um, without missing a beat, the monotonal he monotonally tells this woman he'll contract contact a rape crisis center for her. This is cinematic profession. Yeah, he's just deadpan. You have suffered a yeah, traumatic event. She she tries to embrace Hug. him. Yeah, and and he's just so you know matter of fact. Um. But don't let me and Fat Tony sing the praises of this scene. How about we have a little guest pop on real Ooh. quick? And let's hear from our good buddy William Shockley to send us some audio to tell about him being shot in the dick by RoboCop. 
William Shockley here, and happy 50th episode to Rants from the Black Lodge. That's a pretty cool milestone. I was the dude that got shot right there in the private parts. What an amazing moment, film history, an iconic film, kind of defying that ultra-violent, futuristic genre. And I was living in Dallas, Texas, doing theater. I had just gotten an agent. Robocop was my very first audition, and Paul Verhoeven hired me, which was a pretty darn epic at that point in time. Had a great time getting shot by Robocop. So anyway, I hope that your uh, podcast is super cool and going great. Thanks again for reaching out. All right, number seven. Mark Carlton, who plays former Detroit City Councilman Ron Miller. Mark is best known as the grieving father in Heathers that has the iconic line, I love my dead gay son. Yeah. After losing his political position when he was defeated in an election, uh, Miller suffers a complete nervous breakdown, and he resorts to desperate measures. Uh, He starts turning uh, Detroit City Hall into a standoff with the police, and he's holding several employees hostage, including Mayor Gibson. Now, by the time the Detroit uh, police uh, corridor or cornered it it off, uh, Miller already has, you know, Murdered one hostage, which we yeah. talked about just earlier. Now, Robo uses his heat vision <clears throat> tracking, plunges his arms into the adjacent wall, pulls Miller through, gunshots rain down, Robocop punches Miller through a window, and he gloriously falls to his death as the news cameras roll footage on this. It's an 8 out of 10. That's exactly what I had. It's a solid 8 out of 10. It's so great. This section of the movie... um exclusively serves for the purpose of showing Robocop, basically showing him off. They're showing off the new toy. They're having fun with the premise. Um, It has absolutely no bearing on the rest of the film, but it establishes Robocop as a force to to, to be reckoned with. Um, I want to say real quickly, though, like Robocop is very efficient in upholding the law, but he's not very good in not murdering people. No, no. He he doesn't kill any of the kids at the elementary school, so there's that. Like, was it the second or third one that does have, like, the fucking psychotic little Little League baseball team? Uh, That's part two. Yeah. That's that's He doesn't kill any of the kids, but he kills a coach, doesn't he? Or do they kill a coach? They... I don't remember, but he's he's talking to the coach while he's yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Eight out of ten all day. Um, uh, trivia. Uh, Robocop is walking around uh, towards the room where the former councilman is holding the mayor hostage. And the infrared uh, infrared heat vision that they used uh, just you know, as a cool thing. Yeah. And this was like a new technology they were showing off in the movies. Same year Predator used it. Yeah. But to make the technique work, and it would be cheaper because they were on a really, really tight budget, Paul Verhoeven had all of the actors nude when they filmed those scenes. Nice. So, yes, Dutch, yes, take off your clothes. I'm in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight, Bob Morton, who is played by the legendary character actor who's no longer with us, uh, Miguel Ferreira. He's yeah. having an old, good old-fashioned Coke party with a couple of floozies when Clarence... Right. Those are well read. He's talking about how smart they are and how smart is the new sexy. Well, they're not just floozies; they're educated cohorts. Those are edu- educated cohorts. That's, that's, I apologize yes. for my uh, my misuse of terminology in relation <laughs> to these fine young ladies who just want to have a good time. Um, just pouring coke on their titties, man. That's living the dream. 
And, uh, well, we get to hear uh, my favorite line of dialogue again. Bitches leave. One of the bitches. (laughs) (laughs) One of the bitches. Um, uh, once the bitches have left, um, uh, uh, Boddicker puts uh, puts a slug in the knee of Morton uh, to inca- incapacitate him. Uh, so he pops in a DVD, which was very forward thinking. Yeah, and even like CDs were kind of rare uh, in like the late eighties. Uh, I didn't want to like the early nineties where they yeah. became more commonplace. But still, having a video disc that he was shoots not- him a couple times though, doesn't he? Uh, like uh, once in the leg and then like again. Oh, stop! I think he, yeah, he does. He shoots him uh, once in the knee and he shoots him in the other leg. Yeah. Um. But uh, he he puts this grenade on on the uh, thing, and this has got to tie back in with uh, Ed Newmeyer talking about the Bodiger character being based off of the, the guy who threw grenades yeah, in the marketplace. Carlos the Jackal. Yeah, Carlos the Jackal. And um, uh, it's just it's a really good tense moment of him like desperately trying to like climb and knock the thing off, and and Dick Jones' video is like, you know, her, you know, verbally uh, eviscerating him. I'm cashing your check. Ten out, out of, ten. of ten. Yeah. Flawless. Everyone is perfect in this scene. Like, even those those two, what'd you call them? Educated cohorts. Educated cohorts. They're, they're in, they have like barely no lines of dialogue, but they're memorable characters Hell in yeah. this movie. I, 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 um, I need to do it. cocaine off my wife's breast. <laughs> I have a wife. Bitches leave. <laughs> That's what, you tell, that's, what you tell, tell that that's what you tell to the girls. That's what you tell your kids. My stepkids, bitches leave. All right, a little bit of trivia. Uh, um, a few years ago, myself and Fat Fuck Scott, we went to Nirvana Comics, which is in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is just down the road from the Black Lodge, to meet comic book legend Peter David. Now, I go up to him, and I, I'm getting some of my uh, Spider-Man 2099 comics autographed, and he complimented me on the shirt I was wearing that day. Now, the shirt I was wearing, uh, which Fat Fuck Scott got me for a birthday or Christmas one, I don't remember exactly, but it says... Um, Remember when that guy, when RoboCop shot that guy in the dick? <laughs> and I had that day, I had been stopped by like 10 people, like, what's, great shirt. What, what's that about? Or complimenting oh. me on it. And he was like, hey, I actually have something interesting to tell you about that shirt. And I'm like, okay, really? And he told me that um, the character Miguel O'Hara, who is the alias for Spider Man 2099, he named Miguel O'Hara after Miguel Ferreira. Oh, that's cool. Um, so it's like a little nod to him. So it was it was a it was an awe inspiring moment. And uh, I mean, I'm a big Miguel Ferreira fan. Oh, he's great. And like and most I, things. So I I it was kind of interesting knowing that one of my favorite comic book characters was you know a little bit of a tribute to one of the greatest uh, character actors of this or any generation. Any all. Number twenty. Oh, I'm sorry. Number nine, number 10, number 11, number 12, number 13, number 14, number 15, number 16, number 17, number 18, number 19, number 20, number 21, number 22, number 23, and number 24, Robocop infiltrates a warehouse where cocaine is being cut and packed and kills every human being in existence via gunshot. I have a score for this. They're all... Seven and a half out of tens. Because they are quick, but they use blood squibs for all of them. They all have that 80, ah, kind of thing. So it's a, it's a, it's nonstop seven and a half out of tens. Maybe even eight. For for the collective of all those, I'll give it a ten. Well, yeah. But for, but over- for individual kills, yeah, you're, you're probably more right. 
But just as a scene, as a scene it's just going through plowing another, and then topping all that up by beating the shit out of Boniger. Um, <laughs> a little bit of trivia about this: um, when they were doing this, uh, uh, Peter Weller in his costume was listening to the song "Red Rain" by <laughs> Peter Gabriel. Now, if you watch. His movements, you can kind of pick up on the fluidity of that. I'm now. I've definitely got to do that. And the other aspect of this is that because Verhoeven was impatient and was just constantly trying to push forward, like, no, get it done. More blood. Shoot, shoot. And blah, blah, blah. I don't give a fuck. Don't do it. Um, A lot of these shots end up being really, really, really quick cuts when they go to the edit because uh, when you're doing... Uh, there's like a fluid of motion when you're shooting something and when you're cutting it together, you don't want like a a scene for a character to move to the right and then have the orientation of the person to be the left, that kind of stuff. So if you really pick this scene apart, there's a lot of continuity errors because, um, Verhoeven didn't give a fuck, but this is a scene that was made in the edit rather than probably the grand design. So Verhoeven, not as integral to this moment than some of the other parts, but he insisted upon everybody in the warehouse get shot. So that's a, yeah, everybody and everybody squibbed up. So, all right. Number 25, Robocop gets revenge for Lewis being shot. uh, Or when he, uh, when, uh, let me back that up. Robocop gets revenge revenge for Lewis when he shoots Cox, who was played by Jesse Goins. Now Cox is the the fella who whipped his dick out that was so yep. alluring and knocked her off the, the thing earlier in the movie. Um uh, what do you what do you give this kill? As overall the henchmen go, it's like the seven out of ten. It's cause I'm being generous. I I'm I, this is the lowest one I give this a two out of ten. This kill is anticlimactic because yeah. he'd been established as an awful person from like the pissing scene and throughout the entire movie. I do laugh every time when when Boddicker and his gang just just leaves him dead. Yeah, but I felt like Lewis should have. There should have been a moment for Lewis to get yeah. one up on this guy. I, I agree with that. And of all like the henchmen that killed him's deaths, it's the every other one of them is memorable. Yeah, it's it's the it's the they basically just eliminated the character to simplify the action going yeah. into that third act. Uh, number twenty six, Paul McCrane, who plays the role of Emil, in an attempt to run RoboCop over, drives his van into a vat filled <laughs> with toxic waste. This, of course, causes him to melt into a villain befitting to uh, basically he be he'd be a perfect villain for the Toxic Avenger. Yes. Um, he stumbles across, but accidentally gets hit by a car drove by Boddicker that causes his body to literally explode into pure liquid. What do you give this kill? A 15 out of 10. Like, I have a small story to this, too. I used to live out in Wit, you know, heading toward the 81 flea market or 25E, but they called it the 81. There was a tower, I think, at Wallace Hardware. And for some reason, I'm like, what's in that? And my dad said, oh, that stuff in Robocop that that melts that guy. And all my life, (laughs) this was like pre-kindergarten. So I'm saying until second or third grade, I'm just like, I hope there's never a wreck there. That's somewhat close to our home. Yeah. That's hilarious. 10 out of 10. Honestly, it's... That's hilarious. I I I don't have any children. I don't have any uh, prospects on on becoming a, a, a biological father to Sell anybody. Your sperm. My my point. I've done it. My point. <laughs> my point was going to be like, 
if you are not lying to your children, like, why do you even have them? Because exactly. I applaud your father for lying to you in such hilarious great. fashion. It made my life richer. A 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. 10 yeah. out of 10, perfect. Holy fuck. This, this, is, this scared the bejesus out of me as a kid. Oh, fuck uh, yes. The, and we flies apart, and it's not blood. It's like swamp water. It's like saline. Yeah. Oh. But his fingers, like, the drooping skin. down. Oh, and, I'm talking and, about as a 40-year-old man, it still sends And the, the moan that he gives when he's <gasps> like... And he's, he, uh, to, he goes up to Ray Wise's character, and he's like, get the fuck off Help of me. me. That's so fucking scary. Yeah. That's, a, that's a great moment. Uh, number 27, legendary character, actor Ray Weiss, uh, who plays Leon, uh, who's another one of uh, Boddicker's goons. He manages to, to get the best of Robocop by dropping a heap of metal scraps onto him. However, as he's celebrating, a wounded Officer Lewis manages to reach out to one of those high-powered rifles Bodiger's gang have been using, and he blows him the fuck up. Now, before I give you my uh, score and you give me mine, would it not been better for that to have been Cox? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not, yeah. But he was, in like the video game parlance, he was a sub-boss and the other guy was just like a head thug. But no, I'll give you my score and this is not a slight against it because it's not a 10, but it's a 9 out of 10 because he's like, yeah! Boom! Blows the fuck up! It's just the timing of it. I gave it a seven out of ten, and I and I agree with you that I'm I'm being biased. You are being biased. I'm being biased because now that I'm watching it and I'm trying to put logic to it from the beat of like uh, story progression, it would have been more, more enjoyable if it had been Cox. Great moment, all the same. Just a big dumb. Yeah, just, explosion. He's so happy, and then those fucking rifles. All right, number 28. Pinned underneath a heap of metal scrap, Robocop is stabbed through the heart with a metal rod by Clarence Boddicker. uh, Robocop screams in pain as Boddicker quips, Sayonara, Robocop! Robo uh, extends his spike uh, from his right fist, and he stabs Boddicker right in the neck. Buckets of blood pour from the wound as he bleeds to death. I've been interrupted. What do you give it? 9 out of 10. I give it a 10 out of 10 for this reason, and this was the last time I watched this. He uses his information spike. He absorbed that man's soul. (laughs) (laughs) He now now has all the information that he had. Exactly. He knows everything. But no, I'll give it 9 out of 10. You're right, because it's a great scene. But, you know. Robocop has the interesting problem in having so many key villains that it's hard to prioritize, like, who should have the worst death. But I think they chose correctly in this regard, like, giving Boniker the up close and personal kill. And this is another one, the the, uh, X-rated cut. Uh, it, it, yeah. it it goes probably a little too much, uh, holds on those shots a little bit too long, but it does, it's enjoyable either way. Number 29, I don't give a fuck if you count this or not, but Robocop blows up Ed 209 as he start, stands guard at OCP headquarters for good measure. I gave this an 8 out of 10. Same. Stop motion animation of the twitching leg. It is funny. Um, yeah. It's just great. a good, it's a good composite shot. I, I enjoyed it. Number 30. When confronted by the evidence of his recorded confession by the murdered Bob Morton, Dick Jones takes the OCP CEO, who is played by Dan O'Hurley. Uh, we just uh, talked about him in the uh, Season of the Witch yeah. uh, retrospective. Um, because of RoboCop's hidden fourth directive, he cannot uh, arrest or harm Dick Jones. That was the that's the, the another the little directive. having privatizing the 
the, the cops are able to subvert. Basically, they can get away with crimes that regular people cannot. Uh, but thankfully, the CEO shouts out, Dick, you're fired, and allows Robocop to shoot him through a window, and he falls to his death. What do you give this kill? Okay. I know exactly I give, where you're going with I'm it. I'm going to 10 out of 10. I know, so, but it's not just the kill, because in high death, that stop motion little falling, but I love the whole scene. You're fired. Thank you. Bam. <laughs> the guy who's just fucking loving it. That dude in the glasses who's just. We'll get to him. We'll get to <laughs> okay. him. Okay. Like this motherfucking gleeful. It's, it's a quippy badass. Like it's a, I mean, he has some quips, but like it's an eighties movie kill and I fucking love it. 10 out of 10. The setup is tremendous. But the shot of Dick Jones oh, falling to his death. On VHS, that was awesome. No. No, it wasn't. Okay. His arms, I don't know what, what they fucking did, but his arms are, like, prospectively too long yeah. for that body. Um, I gave it I gave it a 6 out of 10. Um, the insert shot of Johnson standing up with that look of glee <laughs> on his face is the funniest thing in the entire it movie. Is. <laughs> um uh, a little bit of trivia. Both Ray Wise, Miguel Ferrer, and Dan O'Hurley would reunite in key roles in Twin Peaks. Yeah. So, uh, another another favorite of the Black a Lodge. Rance connection, yeah. Okay. Believe it or not, there are actually a few people uh, who survived in RoboCop, so let's <laughs> n- knock through them real quick. And I'm going to butcher this guy's name. Uh, uh, Robert Duquay, who plays Sergeant Reed. Um Consistently worked through film, television, uh, best known for appearing in the RoboCop trilogy. Um, uh, solid, yeah, solid actor. That's solid fine, actor. yeah. Uh, Perry, uh, Perry Felton, or Felton Perry, rather, plays the role of Johnson. Now, Felton also has had a long career in television and film, but he's best known for this role. Okay. Johnson's role in this movie cannot be understated. He may be the he may make the most use out of nothing that any person in a movie has ever like done. Three scenes. He he's in very little of the movie. He has very little dialogue. His character is entirely told through his body language. Oh yeah. Number one, he's the ultimate eighties yes man. He doesn't give a fuck. He's just there to agree with whoever's in power because that's how he keeps his job. Yeah. What does he do there? We never find cocaine. out. Cocaine. He does cocaine. And apparently watches snuff films because he's just happy as fuck to see people die. He goes on his summer vacation to like the hostel, like, you know, sets from the hostel <laughs> movies and kills like wandering tourists. Every, every time there is an insert shot of him. He's making a face Some, that, yes. that is that is like Da Vinci artwork <laughs> yes. perfect. I I mean I I'm not exaggerating that when I say that that he may be my personal my personal favorite character in a movie ever. In particular, when you consider how little he actually is. Yeah, he's one movie. of the best side characters. I won't go the favorite character, but one quick thing before we move on. But you've got a character named Johnson. You get a character named Dick Jones, and you get a character named Cox. There's a lot of slang terms for penis in RoboCop. <clears throat> yeah, is that a coincidence or is this an intentional? Oh, I think joke? it's intentional. I, I don't. I think know. it's an intentional lowbrow. It, it, it if it's a coincidence, that is a you've got dick on your brain, yeah, and you're just not processing through that. 
Okay, now listen, I don't know about you, but I think I could use a drink. Always. So let's drink it in, man, RoboCop edition. Now we invite all of you out there in the Rant Army to pop in your VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, Laserdisc, or your digital copy of RoboCop. And once you finish this retrospective... Let's play a fun drinking game. And I don't want you to take a shot anytime you hear Cox giggle. Take a shot anytime you see an OCP logo. Oh. Anytime you see the Delta City sign. You're you're getting sloshed. You're getting sloshed. Anytime there is a news break, you're drunk. Yeah. Anytime Robocop does the TJ laser gun twirl. Anytime a character is uh, refers to the quote unquote old man. Anytime Johnson makes a gleeful face or expression. Anytime you see a police uh, badge or a logo. Anytime Lewis blows a bubble with her bubble gum. And take a double shot whenever you hear, I'd buy that for a dollar. Okay, all of these should have the, I'd buy that for a dollar, but pick and choose, because if you try to do the entire list, you will die of alcohol poisoning. Um, that's why I would definitely say drink responsibly. Yes, um, don't drive. Th- this, is, this, is a, this is an expert level <clears throat> drinking game, and if you're a novice, stick to something a little more your speed. Sip However, some for- beer. However, for those of you that do take your drinking a little more seriously, we do have a RoboCop-inspired cocktail that'll grease your gears in no time. So, you're going to take two ounces of uh, black vodka, a half ounce of cinnamon whiskey, a half ounce of Bacardi 151, one ounce of sour mix, and three ounces of energy drink of your choice. So, your directions. You're going to fill a highball glass full of ice. You're going to add Bacardi 151, followed by the black vodka and fireball whiskey into a shaker, and shake vigorously. Pour contents over the ice over the uh, in the highball glass, and then add the sour mix and the energy drink, and then stir until it is completely dissolved. This is going to give you a uh, an energetic kind of... Uh, robotic um, mentality after you. Bunch of caffeine and alcohol, hell yeah. Classy um, four locos. You'll be, she'll be, (laughs) he'll be fucking fat bitches in no time. (laughs) Okay, a little bit of trivia. In Sacramento, California, a robbery suspect fled uh, into a darkened movie theater during the run of RoboCop. He was trying to escape the police, and he became so engrossed with the RoboCop story that he failed to notice that the police had evacuated all the patrons from the theater. (laughs) So so RoboCop literally assisted in the arrest of an armed robber. It's a great movie. It's easy to get sucked into. Um, 27 years after the movie's release, uh, Detroit uh, did actually file for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Um, that, talk about prophetic. And also, um, has it been put in? I'm not 100% sure, <clears throat> but I know that they were working towards... I think it went in. The uh, RoboCop statue, uh, all think... other the, the Rocky statue. Yeah. Um, I've been to Detroit one time, uh, and that was... Not even really Detroit. I was in the Detroit um, suburbs. No, the um, oh, what do you call it? The airport. 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 <gasps> and this was right before you know, like when it had been announced, and I was just pissed. So like, I I want to go to the RoboCop statue, and then I'm looking it up on my phone. And it's like, oh, they haven't even started work on it. I was I was furious. The Science Center it was been chosen as RoboCop roost in the summer of 2019. Well, so it's up. So you'll probably get murdered if you go to Detroit, but it would also be. I mean, if you're going to die, if you're going to go on a Christian pilgrimage 
to see our Lord and Savior, Robocop. That's, you know, aside from dying with a sword in your hand in the heat of battle, that's the only other way to guarantee entrance to Valhalla. Well, chances are, if you take a sword <laughs> in hand, you, you'll you'll die yeah. in battle in Detroit. Yeah. Um, the film was submitted to the MPAA 12 times before securing an R rating. and I get that, yeah. yeah. It's it's not hard to understand why. The film uses the word fuck 35 times. Nice. And every one of them are impactful and add to the rich narrative of the story. The film was nominated for three Oscars, including Best Sound, Best Sound Editing, and Best Film Editing. And it won the Oscar for Best Sound Editing. That's the one positive thing you can say about these genre films is that they generally are Oscar-worthy when it comes to the technical oh, awards. Yeah. Um, it is sad that like there is a bias. The, the, these type of films are never considered, and and I do think that like a lot of the critics probably love this movie. But this is a case where they're definitely they're not going to do it. The closest we'll ever get to like a genre, grindhouse genre movie winning the Academy Award is Silence of the Lambs. Well, I was gonna, I was going to say uh, Passion of the Christ. That's the that's the most <gasps> grindhouse movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. See Jesus get whipped for two hours in a, in another language. Stop! I'm getting hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we close this episode, uh, I'd like to bring to you a new segment we're going to be doing from time to time called Rants Recommends, where myself and Fat Tony will recommend something pop culture related to you out there in the rant army. So, like music, movies, books, games, things of that nature. Tony, what is your rants recommendation? My first rants recommendation, uh, if you don't have HBO Max, this is worth it alone, 30 Coins. It is a TV series in Spain. It's subtitled, but don't be scared. The first episode features a giant spider with a giant baby for a head about a priest trying to stop these people from gathering the 30 coins of silver that Judas Iscariot was paid to betray Christ. It is, it is the, it it is like a high class trauma show. It's like trauma with good acting, good effects. Like you think, Oh, I've seen crazy shit like this before, but it's done. There's a remote control zombies. It is fucking amazing. I definitely recommend checking it out. I'm having to make myself not binge every episode that's available. I, I'm, I'm, I have two left. That's usually the mark of something good. When yeah, you, when you, you don't want to. You yourself throttle it because you want <clears> to <throat> savor it. My recommendation for this month is a film that you can find on Shudder called The World of Conoco. And I, I yes. mentioned this to you the other day. This is a Japanese film. It's from tw- uh, 2014. Uh, broad strokes. It's about a former detective whose estranged daughter has gone missing. Uh, the World of Conoco is like watching like a Japanese Quentin Tarantino film. It's funny. It's harrowingly dark. It's got just continual twists. Every time you think you know what this movie's about, something comes up and like, holy fuck, you're going to be, it's like hitting a brick wall. But I cannot stress how entertaining this is. It is subtitled. So both of our things we're going highbrow. We are. I'm twisting my my glasses. <laughs> I wish I had a a, a tiny uh, cup of espresso to <laughs> thumb my thumb my nose at you with right now. Um, that being said, like th- this is schlock. 
it's well made schlock. As but, is mine. But you're gonna have to you're gonna have to suffer if you don't like subtitles. That may be a turnoff. But trust me when I say this will be worth it to you. The visuals are gorgeous. The acting is top fucking notch. And mark my words, in the next couple of years, I guarantee you this is going to get an American remake. And if Nicolas Cage is not playing the main role, then we will have suffered the indignity of what could have been his greatest performance. On the schlock end, yes. All right, guys. I think that's going to wrap us up for this episode, but we'll be back later this month with a commentary for David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Long time coming. We're long time coming. We're going to be throwing back some uh, a Pabst Blue Ribbon. And we have had some issues about recording. Some things came up. We weren't able to. I had COVID around Halloween and right after. And then some other health stuff came up with people. I've had a sixer of PBR in the fridge, just waiting, just waiting for this. I've watched the movie like five times in preparation. I don't prepare for these watch-alongs, but this one I do. It's not even preparing; it's absorbing. And we're going to be taking. We're going to be talking a lot more atmospheric and like yeah, we're a, lot be the non, a lot of the non-diplumes yes. of this film rather than the hard stuff because I think dissecting a in a Lynch work in in the and the technical aspects, like you know, you know the film's exquisite in that regard. But yeah. we're gonna we're gonna get deep into philosophical like, yeah, meat of it. Why this movie is effective and, and we'll, why some of our friends are morons and don't like it. Oh God! Let me guess who? Brent, our buddy Brent. Oh, Brent. Oh yeah, you told I'll, me. Brent. Well, well, I'll, I'll get Brent a pass. I'll, I'll save the story for the for the episode. Okay. Till then, the Rants of the Black Lodge podcast can be found on a multitude of platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So please go give us a subscribe right now. You can find us on social media at Rants Black Lodge. Check us out on our, on our homepage at JuicyKruger.com. And for the love of Cthulhu, go buy a T-shirt or a mug from our web store at RantArmy.com. For Fat Tony. This is Brandon A. Lane signing off. Till next month, Rant Army. Keep, Keep marching. marching. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs>